Hey, everybody. Welcome to Subtitles on the only podcast about movies. Uh, we love podcasts. We love movies. We love writers. We love reading writers. We love watching movies about writers, reading what they wrote. We love reading the subtitles of what they're saying that was written by the writer while we watch the movie about the writer. And we're writers. And then we read it. <laughs> the, the movie... That we watched today was a TV show. I want to get, I want to get out in front of that. The TV Should show have been a movie. did have subtitles. It would have been a better movie, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, the TV show had subtitles, so we are still honoring that part of the premise. It was written by a writer. Is that the most important part of the premise is the fact that these things have subtitles if you turn them on? Well, the subtitles also, for me, were not always... The timing wasn't always perfect. Oh, they weren't matching huh? up. They were a little, were a little bit behind. So, so the subtitles were on, but they were also subtitles <laughs> a little off. off. Yeah. I I didn't realize that was such an integral part of the show as to watch it with subtitles because I normally don't watch something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And did you not? I did not. No, I'm <laughs> so okay. sorry. All right. Scott, if only um, there was something about the show that indicated... <laughs> That we're supposed to watch it with subtitles? I did not get any of this information. It, yeah. just, it was yeah. just like, watch this thing and we mm. can talk about it. Yeah. Okay, well, mm. Kevin, that's somewhere we could improve, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe more um, clear in the email. Yeah. Uh, who are anyway, you? The show's called Subtitles. Oh, hey, Log. what's up? <laughs> I know Sean, but who are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm also Sean. I, I'll oh. be introduced, yeah. We've got, oh, two, okay. we've got two Seans here today. <laughs> we did watch Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Um, just the pilot. Uh, but I'm here with Scott Ackerman mm-hmm. and Sean Diston, mm-hmm. two strangers. These guys, <laughs> I've been hearing about these guys all around town. Everyone says you gotta meet these guys. They said you do podcasts. They love podcasts. That's what we're primarily known for: is loving podcasts. Yeah, we love they're, them. Huge, they're huge listening podcasts, all the yeah. time. So get them on yours. They'll mm. know what to do. Um. But of course, uh, these guys, Sean, I believe you have yes. a good friend who hosts the show with Scott. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wait, you're the Sean. Are you the Sean Diston that yes, Sprague yes, represents? Yes, of course. Oh. I, um, I, my manager does a podcast with Scott. Um, it's basically me with a right. British accent sometimes. And, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, that's pretty much all you got to so know. So he, I mean, there are some similarities between oh, yeah. you two. We both grew up you're in saying, Florida. Yeah. We're both black. We okay. both have the same jobs in the industry. <laughs> Similar stories. I guess I didn't realize Sprague was black because yeah, he wears well, the cloak all the time. So. Mm-hmm. It's a dark cloak. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so you, your show, uh, Scott hasn't seen. What is it about? <laughs> it's a. It's about movies. Yeah. No! no, yeah, yes. I'm so, <laughs> so sorry, but we don't watch them with the subtitles on unless okay. it's really late at night where we're trying not to wake our baby. So I have my corner. Yes, you may find actually with a child that the subtitles become permanently on. Okay, um, um, but I know yeah, that's been a shift. Yeah, it's uh, it's about movies that I personally have not seen because occasionally throughout my life I was in a period where I would not watch the most popular movies in the world because mm-hmm. I was too snooty to watch them and now it's catching up with them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I, I I heard you did Empire Records. <laughs> we recently. did. We did do yeah. Empire Records recently. Great episode. Yeah. Um, they did. I mean, we did. They did. <laughs> they did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it, you, you were a, a wonderful guest on our Empire Records uh, episode, you. Oh, thank you. and we uh, you 
you picked it and then you didn't even seem to like it. <laughs> no, I like it. You like it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I loved it in high school is really right. was the idea. Um, but yes, there are movies I like better on the list, but I just think they're like, they don't really fit for me what we're talking about. <laughs> well, this Empire Records, I, I thought you were going to pick something that had to do with writing or whatever, but you said you've picked everything that has to do with writing already. We're going to burn out. <laughs> like, it, there's definitely a lot of movies about like novelists and stuff that we haven't right. covered. But like, yeah, in terms of like, there's very few movies about TV writers at all. Right. Speaking and then of, movie writers, there's some, but and we've done a lot of them. Speaking of novelists. And um, some you don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> some are just yeah. like, this sucks. Speaking of novelists, I, I am reading that Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things is now a novelist. I was going to ask, yeah, mm-hmm. is she a novelist? You were going to ask that of me <laughs> before the it show? You no, no, I have, yeah, I have the little note. So I, I obviously have some beats from the show that we watched, and then I also wanted to know if Millie Bobby Brown was, was a novelist. So she, she, her first novel just came out, and um, apparently it's ghostwritten. Okay, um, interesting. But um, She ghostwrote the whip. But this this is the first line from it. Okay. It was hot. The kind of heat that makes you long for the weather to cool down. <laughs> I got to say, I though. I know exactly I, what yeah, she means. It's so descriptive. Like, I know exactly the type of day she's talking Talk about. Talk about putting you into a world. <laughs> yeah. But I literally feel it. What world building? I was wondering if yeah. I should have had long sleeves today because it's a little cool in the studio. And but now, now suddenly, scorching one up. line from Millie Bobby Brown's novel, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I had been meaning to ask about anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like there. Yeah. Like I'm fully fucking there. But I wanted to say, Sean, that she wrote or had the novel ghost written in order to eventually make a movie about it. And yes. so they're in production on the movie. So if you can just hold on, Mm-hmm. You can cover that movie. That okay? <laughs> I can vamp until that comes yeah. out. But is the movie about a writer, or it's just being written? Currently? Well, she. I feel like it fits because, first of all, it will have subtitles. I'm told. Yes. Okay. And it. She wrote it mm-hmm. as a novel, and then it's a movie, so it works, right? Mm. Now, this, but this actually transitions into a real, a real thing about the industry, which is sometimes you are told that if you have an idea. That they're like, well, no one will buy your idea, but if you can make the idea yes. into a book, <laughs> a book or a <laughs> or comic a, book, a, and yeah. you are involved with like comic books and graphic novels, have you ever yeah. tried to do that? Like, yeah, get I, something made into a graphic novel so that it's IP, so that then I had a pilot that uh, people really liked, but for some reason could never get traction, and and one of the reasons was I wrote it during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons was. Everyone kind of thought is it's not what I'm known for. It was like a right. one hour action drama mm-hmm. with humor in it, but it was mainly like, you know, a, an action drama. And I just I don't think anyone knows me as that, you know? Yeah. So I looked into it a little bit of like, OK, what if I turn it into a comic book? And I talked to my friend Jerry Duggan about the financials of like doing it as, as a comic. And it I mean, it's. Something to the effect of like you got to lay out thirty grand or something like that yeah. to do it as a comic, and it's kind of like okay, I guess I could, but yeah, it's know. a it's a pretty big gamble yeah. to bet thirty grand on possibly Which, then selling the script yes. for like uh, to recoup 35. that and make yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That's my quote, by the way. <laughs> 35 grand. But like, then it's like, then if the, if that doesn't get made into a pilot, you don't get a series that it's like, yeah. you still probably. And that, by the way, the, that, the 30 grand or so is if you do it through image where you still have the rights, mm-hmm. there are cheaper, cheaper ways to do it with a company that would then share the rights with you. But, but then you have a producer on your thing yeah, who's yeah. going to have a voice in the room that exactly. you don't necessarily want. I recently sold a show that was based on a book. And when they came to me like, hey, like, we want to develop this book. I'm like, all right, sure. Yeah, let's develop this book. And in the six months. Was it months, Millie Bobby Brown's? It was. <laughs> uh, How hot six, was it? It was pretty strange. In your treatment. Uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the six months of developing it, like, every single thing changed. Like, it is not the book anymore. Yeah. But we, but, like. The fact that it was inspired by a book and we have the rights to the book is the reason why anyone took it seriously. Yeah. It's yep. just like so insane to me that like the author of this book is like, wow, I sold this as a TV show. This is going to be so fun. And he's going to see the show and be like, well, this is completely different. Yeah. <laughs> not at all the same. I've been in that situation too where like adapting a comic into a movie and you kind of read the comic and go like, oh, there's not really a lot of usable stuff in it, but I love the premise. Mm-hmm. And it you feel bad because, you know, you feel bad for the original writers because I've been in that situation where it's like, so it's it's one of those things where you kind of sometimes have to have a conversation of like, are you cool if a lot yeah. of this changes? And if yeah. you get a sense where people are like feeling very protective over it. Well, then... and it's also false advertising for fans of the thing in a yeah. way of like, <laughs> right. here, this is like inspired by the thing we're right. going to change so much, but it's like, that's how you get it off the ground. Yeah. I have a friend who has a really funny story of like having an overall with a studio and he was going in and like, he had written like two different pilots for them and like gone in and like was bringing in TV show ideas. And they really were just like, seemed not engaged at all but he had sold a book separately like prior and was working on the book and was like on deadline for it and then finally they in the meeting were like okay okay yeah you've got tv show ideas but like do you think the book could be a show (laughs) and he went the book is not even a book (laughs) like i'm I'm so far behind on the fucking book it doesn't exist and you are like horny for the book to be a show it doesn't make any fucking sense (laughs) and i also like wonder what the future of it is going to be because like at a certain point they have to realize like it is not i mean i guess it helps them for it to be ip but it seems like it's more expensive to get the rights to shit like it also is like a big legal thing i've been i've been working on this comic book as a series for years maybe five years or something Mm -hmm. like that and it's just like all the legal entanglements of like who owns the rights and the people the person you know like finally getting a legal agreement of like a shopping agreement has taken years and years and years it it takes any deal takes so long and then to Mm -hmm. add another person who's like in another industry like as a writer it just is forever and it's just funny because we'll talk about it but like i love in the pilot that like this whole thing is settled in one night like you're gonna be the working at this job it's like no lawyers are just gonna go talk for six months before anyone can even it's just really funny i like you we should hang out we (laughs) we have like a rapport as if we've i don't know Hmm. talked on mics a long time yeah (laughs) yeah well these two guys that i'm with sean and scott look you can kind of tell yeah they're in the industry We've been around the block. <laughs> so I worked with Sean on a show called Robbie. Yeah. 
one that, one uh, rainy summer <laughs> and where we we worked in the rain in a very surreal sort of like puppet workshop we created a show that immediately disappeared and it all feels like it was fake well yes it, it was on comedy central was well it, or? That's, that's a common a misconception <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think it was on comedy central no so also it's a little bit i think it relates a little to the strike in terms of the way that the product that is made has been devalued. So for me, uh, I'll tell a slightly long story, which is like I had worked on a TV show called Ghosted. Yeah. Um, that was uh, a troubled production. Mm -hmm. I got shingles during it. I've talked about it before <laughs> because and that was a show where you guys may have been in this scenario. There were a lot of super talented people involved, but there were like five different entities. There was the creator of the show who had kind of been sidelined a little bit because they brought in another showrunner to work with him. Then there were the like actor producers, which is Adam Scott and Craig Robinson, who were were very funny and talented, but maybe had a slightly different idea of what the show should be than the initial creator and the studio who maybe didn't totally agree with the network. So, right. so you have five people who all think they know what the show should be, or five groups, and none of them totally agree. And so literally no one is ever happy at any point <laughs> during the entire process. So it makes for a really Including fun environment. <laughs> Where everyone's having a great because everyone's like everyone's got good ideas and like is weighing in, but like also everyone is kind of pissed off all the time yeah. and kind of trying to like move things more. Toward. So like if you make one person a little bit happy, you're making this other person more unhappy. And so it was like really really brutal. I finished that job, and then I said something that I had heard people say before, which is. I think I'm going to take some time off to develop. <laughs> and this was something cool, successful writers would Big say. Big flex. Mm. They, would say. Go, they would go, you, they'd go, I'm not even going to stand. <laughs> I just, I got all these great ideas. I'm going to take time off to develop. I'm going to get paid to sit around and pitch to people. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's Maybe what it paid. sounds like. <laughs> But actually, you only get paid if they buy the pitch. Right. So I wrote two pilots. I wrote a cable pilot and like a network pilot. The network one I've talked about before was based on some of my own experience. And it was like a high school show through the eyes of the custodial staff because I had worked as a janitor at my own high school shortly after graduating. Really? So I was like, this will be. So it's like and it was funny you know like i was seeing teachers that i knew yeah, and it was yeah. kind of like this is i was <laughs> just <are> here <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. and so it's like okay cool and there was like some interesting politics about like the way whatever the like maintenance staff was you know connected to the academic staff who are like they don't have jurisdiction over them like so i was like okay this is kind of interesting and it like Two different studios were interested in it and it felt like okay cool this is going to be great and i like ended up going with this executive i liked at cbs studios and we went out and we got this uh director attached who was really cool who has gone on to direct the pilot of ghosts mm. um and has done like big hit shows he had done like a thousand new girls at the time that i met him and had his own show and we went out and we pitched everywhere and the deal was something called an if come Mm. And an mm. if come I means like the second part of that. You <laughs> you will get paid 
if you sell this <laughs> right. and you make a deal and you figure out all the numbers and how much money you would get if you sold it. And you're going to do the work no matter what. You do all the work. You go pitch everywhere. Uh, and I got to say, I didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tough part of the if come uh, is when you don't come. And then the other one was like a cable one. And again, I got like... Uh, Production company, um, Jax actually was with me. Ooh, classic <laughs> Jax. You know, Jax. I think they, they did Broad Jack. City. Yeah, they <laughs> yes, they owe a lot of people something. Um, but so I had them and uh my friend Kyle Newichek was gonna direct it, and we were like, okay, great. And we went out to everywhere. And that was really a scenario too where I realized like I've talked about no one will give you bad news in this business. And like I would have these pitches and be like, they love it. You go, okay, great. And then you go like, so are they going to do it? It's like, they have an internal meeting next week about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, just before I sort of realized like, no, dude, if they want to do it, you'll They'll hear do it. Right there. Like, mm. And they love to tell you like, no, they're meeting about it now. And then there's no call about the results of that meeting. It's very rare that a month after the pitch, you get a call you where it's like, they bought they it. They figured it out. I've, I've been in- You've had it? Yeah. Well, especially when, as a writer- as a writer on TV, I mainly just had blind script deals, which are yes. the best uh, of that, which is all come, which yeah. is is just uh, I had three of those where it was just like, OK, we just want to give you money and whatever you come up with, you come up with. Yeah, um, that's the best part. But being a, after after I moved into producing, then I've had some of the weirder ones where it's like literally a year later, they'll buy it and stuff like yeah. that. So so. I tend to take that with a grain of salt of like, I, I've sold stuff in the room and that's the best feeling yeah. of like, yeah. where they just really go like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where they just go like, happen. okay, we definitely want it. Um, I, I, in fact, uh, there was one movie that we sold in the room uh, with Bob Odenkirk where uh, 10 minutes into the pit and we'd worked out a 45 minute pitch, 10 minutes into the pitch, Jeff Robinov, the head of Warner Brothers was like, all right, we want this. Whoa. And Bob continued with, the, the pitch. No, Bob. Thirty-five <laughs> more minute pitch, and I'm like shoving him under the, the table. Literally, the definition like, of selling past yeah, the clothes. Yeah, yeah like going, stop, wrap it up, wrap it up. Yeah, the um, only, he, he still bought it. The but, only time where I've been seen the like deliberation thing work out is when they're like, they want to talk about it, try to figure out the numbers, and that always yeah. means to me like they do want it. But you are about to see one of the most insulting contracts that you've ever <laughs> experienced, right. and it's always been the case of like, if they're not like buying it in the room or like texting me or like an, an hour later or something it's always like uh, i'm about to be insulted like part of the reason yeah. we're on strike is because they're yeah they can give us these deals that are like fucking really insulting. they'll squeeze you yeah i've definitely had stuff where it was like a week or two went by like i've i haven't sold mm -hmm. something in the room um <laughs> one of the pitches i went to everybody was there was like the steph curry show that i worked on it was like Steph's people and like Will Arnett was in there and like and then there was just like everyone's manager and agent and all the network executives and it was like and Will was being really funny and then we did the pitch and the pitch crushed and then I left and three different people came up to me in the parking garage and they're like I don't know what the fuck just happened why didn't they buy that in the room mm. and I was like I don't either I, I don't know and they were like that's how it feels when they when they buy it in the room it right. feels like that meeting and I was like Okay, right. like, this is, is this like, bad or good? Like, why are you guys like cornering me about this? Like, I right. can't control that. Did they that. end up buying it or? Uh, the show did sell, but not okay. to them. Not to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, one thing that my former partner at Comedy Bang Bang Productions mm -hmm. um, 
he eventually like the pandemic just shut everything down. Like yeah. no one, I did so many zoom pitches during the pandemic and literally zero sales. It was yeah. just such a tough time. So we had to just shut down and he went on to be a development executive. And the, oh, one, wow. th- the one thing he tells me now is like, we see so many pitches and we can't buy any of them. Yeah. And, uh, he doesn't quite, we we would always be like, why did they even say to see this? Like, yeah, because because you, you float out the premise of what you're gonna pitch, mm-hmm. and they go, we want to hear it, yeah. and you go like, okay, that's like halfway, like to me, that's halfway there, but for them, it's just like we need to fill up the day, mm-hmm. and so they just fill up the day with pitches, yeah. regardless of if, and then you hear about it afterwards, and they say like, oh no, this isn't right for us. And you go, well, we told you the premise, and yeah. You know, well, that was true with like the um, when we went to all the networks and like cable outlets with that that high school sitcom that mm-hmm. I wrote is they went like, well, we don't want to do a high school show. <laughs> well, and I was that's like, the show. Oh, okay. But didn't you know <laughs> like, this? Like us going in, that's the thing. Is like, yeah, everyone always has talked about what you're like, gonna pitch. Only, only high school students would be interested in a high school show. <laughs> and I was like. That's demonstrably untrue. Right. A lot of people like, went to high school. Anyone who went might, yeah. There are a lot of creepy guys who were in, in <laughs> yeah. high school. They're hanging around. <laughs> Believe me. Um, so like, yeah, that was, but that was interesting where it was just like, this is like too low premise. Like that was like yeah. when it was like a big, everything needed a big hook. Mm-hmm. So no, then you I had, had a, a pilot that you then immediately couldn't carry out the same idea anymore. I had a high school show, um, kind of kind of similar. It was actually weirdly, the woman that Amanda Peet's character is based on uh, bought it. Jamie? And, Jamie, yes. And that was a little bit of a weird situation because that was one of my blind scripts. Um, mm-hmm. I, I pitched this idea because I, I had dated a teacher and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? Like she tells me all these stories and all the teachers are just as fucked up as the students. Yeah. But they hide it in front of the students and they were like, okay, this is a show. So yeah. I wrote it, NBC eventually passed on it but um and then the weird part about it was then her brother then sold the exact same show and i was kind of like (laughs) but um after nbc passed on it a few executives were trying to um trying to do something with it and there was one that i met that was so hilarious i think he ran fox or something like that and then he went off and started his own shingle and um He's late to the meeting, like 15 minutes, which always happens, so I don't care. But he walks in just angry, and he's like, God, I just got a ticket. I just got a ticket from a Malibu policeman. And I'm like sitting here going, like, I show him my license, and I go like, no, I, I like, I'm a citizen. I pay your taxes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I tell him, like, I live here, and I'm one of the people that pays your salary. And he still gives me a ticket? <laughs> He was like flabbergasted. It was so funny, but he was wow. telling he was he was trying to. One thing about the the high school shows is, is you're right. He would this was all the one I was teach the one I had pitched was all adult characters, and you never yeah. saw the students. And he was like, "Bring the students in. We have something." Yeah, because then young people will be interested, and old people will be interested. Yeah. You know, but if you do one of these where it's just the students or whatever, then. You know, only yeah. when, you know, it gets sidelined as a young person show. Well, Scott, that was the clever connection in my <laughs> Oh, interesting. <laughs> was that the was that they had just graduated. Right. And their younger sibling was still in the high school and was so going, what? please don't work here as a janitor. <laughs> right. You're going to destroy I, my I gotta social be honest, life. I would buy this. I think show. this is a good show, but the one question I would have is like, what are all the scenes? Are they <laughs> are, are they 
<laughs> this isn't kind of like how I, it goes. Yeah. Like I like the premise, but where what do you see the scenes being? Are they set in the classroom or are they set like all behind the Some of them? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, Are you having are... flashbacks to pitching this show? <laughs> yeah, it was um it was funny like cuz I had written the script and it was one of these things where like the all the the studio executives that liked it and the people who got involved liked the script and then we'd go out for the pitch and I've talked about this before but it was like I was like well should we send them the script and they're like no, no, no we can't tell them absolutely not right and it's like because but that's the only reason you like it <laughs> but they go, they always if say if I told you the idea you might not like it they always yeah. say like but what if they don't like the script then it's dead Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Then we won't but, go. Then yeah. I won't go because then it's like you go and do the pitch yeah. and then they'd be like, we'll leave the script behind. And yeah. it's like, then we're still in a scenario <laughs> right. where you could have saved script. me gas money. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I wouldn't yeah. have had to prep it. Um, yeah, that's, but, but I partially probably that's like everyone filling their days, as you no, said. It is, yeah. Where it's, it's like, we send the script, then we can't even schedule the meeting if they don't like it. But this way, we've got a meeting on the books. It's, it's very interesting working at, because I worked at DreamWorks Animation for three or four years. And um, I was a guy who would come in only if we had a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And they started to schedule meetings for me every hour of every day. Yeah. And to the point where I was like, guys, what are why are you calling me in here all the time? And they're like, well, we have all these people on staff. We need to justify paying them so we scheduled meetings for them every single hour of every single day and everyone's day is just filled by doing nothing and yeah. i was like well i don't i'm not on salary here like you know just i'm only going to be here if if you actually yeah. need me so stop scheduling me <laughs> for all this stuff but i you see that all these people's salaries need to be justified and so they need to have them doing stuff all day and it just wastes all of our time well and the same with with notes as well often mm -hmm. right where it's like sometimes people give notes because they have a legitimate issue with a script or right. there's like something about the network's brand that they're protecting or something like that but sometimes you can almost feel <laughs> that they're like <sighs> If I don't give at least one big note, why am I even here? <laughs> yeah. What if the last joke like, was okay, funnier? Okay, but do you care? Or... Like, yeah. It's like, can you just tell me when that's the case? Because most frustrating note I ever got was there was a rewrite of a movie I was doing, and I was talking to the producer beforehand. And she's like, "We really want this to be like tonally like there's something about Mary." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Okay, great." And then she was really insisting on seeing the first act before I ever finished the script. So I finally turned in the first act and she calls us into the the meeting and and is like this is just really disappointing i mean this is like it's not what we expected this is sort of like there's something about mary or something like that <laughs> and i was like that's exactly what you asked me to do and she's like no i would never say that <laughs> uh, yeah we got we got a note once on a show where the executive had clearly just kind of skimmed the top line of the thing and it was like they sort of just jammed two words together and were like this is about like it was like it was like it, the words like creature and tree were in it and they were like this whole episode's about tree creatures guys what the <laughs> fuck are we doing and it was like you know it's not shit. like that's right. not what's happened like you Those don't are two random words understand and then like and then it was like, we had to sit through this like dressing down of like, what the fuck is going on? Like you guys yeah. are way off. And then finally we're like, okay, 
can we say now that that's not what it is? <laughs> and they were like, even so. <laughs> even I'm so. disappointed. And I was like, right. when somebody backs off, I'm like, I'll give it up. But that yeah. was like, okay, this is the world we're in. Um, Anyway, to circle back a little bit, tried to develop for a while, did not sell the stuff, then had missed like staffing, traditional right. staffing. He had like managed to just miss it and then was like, oh, fuck. I didn't make any money this year. <laughs> what do I do? I am not going to take a year off to develop again. <laughs> I, that's what that's why can't smart do that. Say. That's why people try to develop while they're actually working a yes, lot. You, yes. Like, you you hear, but I out. hear people say, you know, they yeah. go like, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to skip staffing yeah. so I can develop. And it's just people who, their situation is different from mine, yeah, I realized. Yeah. They sell more stuff um, and they have more money. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to go try to work. I... Um, went on got one meeting on an animated show that uh my writing part my former writing partner who i'd broken up with the year before got instead of me mm -hmm. then nothing 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 then robbie came up and i was like i need this job yeah and went like was like oh anthony king's running it he was my improv 101 teacher really smart guy like had worked on silicon he valley the, and all these uh, things he also wrote the musical that lauren bobert got her tits felt up yes, during yes right which that, is like which is uh, super important that's the main thing on his wikipedia now okay do we like her a little better now i gotta yeah. be honest i gotta be honest it's when i saw kind of cool and then when i saw her reaction being like i guess i fucked up a little bit i was like all right i like horny uh yeah senator the look i don't want her making <laughs> policies sure but we need her out <laughs> Talk about uh, if come. We're gonna yeah. start uh, coming down on horny women out yeah. there. I mean, who the hell on. do we think we are? It was their first date. <laughs> yeah, that makes her so much cooler, dude. You want to go see this musical? Kind of, but <laughs> it's dark enough to feel each other up. Get in there, King. Is it a dark room? Uh, uh, <laughs> here you go. Uh, um, so yeah, Anthony King so and Rory Scovel. Anthony and Rory, who's like. Hilarious so stand up, also like really is a good actor. Yeah. Um, and the pilot was cool, it yeah. had like a very different feeling to me. And I was like, oh, great, basketball related, something that connected we're to basketball, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, awesome, like wanted it so bad. Went in, met with like all the funnier die people, and Anthony Owen Burke got the job. Was like, oh, yes, went in. Sean's working there, was like, this is gonna fucking rock. We did it. The scripts, I thought, like the whole time we were doing it, it felt like it was going well. Anthony's so sharp and like just like it felt like really a well-oiled machine in a way that a lot of shows don't. And I was like, man, we're really delivering. I don't even think we were out of table read yet when it started to feel like, hmm, this bitch ain't going to be on TV. I think, I think also like at Comedy Central, there were like some giant changes there were some massive which always happening yeah. yeah where it was like certain executives were gone so moving people... to other departments and yeah. yeah comedy central itself was like is that even going to have comedies i on think it? the guy who had only been in charge of like live shows like was now put in charge of um all the scripted content mm -hmm. and immediately said that their intention was to bring back at midnight as like their, <laughs> yeah, their primary goal yeah, yeah yeah and it was just which fine but it was by the very way that had like, just stopped airing probably two years earlier yes <laughs> it was like yeah you just got it's rid like of it but it was like okay the person who got rid of it has been replaced and right. they're going 
And it was probably a thing where they had been in meetings going like, we shouldn't get rid of this. It only costs $5. Yeah. Like, I, f- I felt like it was a thing where Chris didn't want to do it anymore. And so they, they canceled it. And then they were like, wait a minute. Wh- why didn't we just get another host? Yeah. Like, cause they were like, it's so inexpensive and yeah. it like manufactures engagement. Right. And, and it sells internationally, which I know is the big yeah. part of Comedy Central, like their daily show and that where like you could watch that in Fiji or something. Like they're but making it, tons of money off that shit. It did feel like, oh, you're narrowing your budget and the only two scripted shows you have in production are our show yeah and a show that stars aquafina <laughs> who was just in like the biggest movie yeah, in the world yeah and like you can't even believe she's doing a comedy central show <laughs> it's like that's gonna go away right yeah. and it keeps not going away and you're confused yeah. and it's like i don't think we're gonna win that <laughs> i don't know what my, time slot we're my gonna whole be confusion though when something like that would happen is like just put it on tv i i you yeah. know like they make like robbie was made and you're and it was just on the internet is that what ended up well they ended or? up putting it on youtube i think they like premiered the pilot right. on tv and then they just uploaded it to youtube but there was a period where they were going to sell it to everyone and this is what i can never understand where it's like okay comedy central they have a programming they have like a schedule that they need to maintain maybe they feel like tosh.0 reruns are better than trying to launch a new show with marketing but like you're hulu or something i I don't understand why those streamers that that just have have bandwidth like exactly just buy it but i guess they're as we said their development team will feel like, why do I exist? Mm-hmm. If, I'm if we can just thing. buy a show that somebody else made that I never had my fingerprints on. Because if it's a big success, yeah. why didn't I buy it? Yeah, And if it's a failure, why did I buy it? Yeah. So yeah. it's a lose-lose, I think, in a way that I wish it wasn't evaluated on those terms. Because I worked on another show that they fully mm-hmm. animated and produced 13 episodes of it and they never it has it. never seen the light of day. I found I found out kind of when I was making the comedy bang bang TV show just of the ratings are so different from so I would come after um movies, right? So sometimes it would be pulp fiction, sometimes it would be the movie about the woman whose vagina had teeth mm-hmm. and um I think it's called teeth. Yeah. <laughs> So you, uh, I think that movie think ends. It's called Vagina Woman. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I was. Right. I, I literally think that movie ends with a vagina chopping off, like biting off a dick, and mm-hmm. the dick falling on the ground, and then suddenly comedy bang bang starts, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which I was always complain about, but um, but I found out that those movies, like the eighty millionth time they've ever showed Pulp Fiction, will get probably. 250,000 people watching it. Mm-hmm. And then Comedy Bang Bang comes on and it's 22,000, you know? Right. And so, they spent all this money to make your show. It's so I, I was kind of like, I don't understand the economics of it, but some of the shows are loss leaders for, um, like AMC was going to get dropped out of cable companies unless mm-hmm. until they came up with Mad Men. Because like yeah. people are like, we can rent all the movies that you show. So they come yeah. up with Mad Men. It doesn't do great in the ratings, but... It's a reason for a- AMC to continue to be uh, on these cable uh, packages. Right, right, they have an original yes. show. So that's that what they I own. That's yeah. the sense that I got with IFC. But then I found out that my show was then being sold to Netflix, licensed to Netflix for more than the budget was. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay. That's how that's, they make money. That's how they're making money. Well, that, yeah, know? that was an interesting thing with streamers, where like you could be um, 
out of the red before you rolled camera on things. Right. Sometimes exactly. if you had already licensed out the Yeah, because I, I was like, why are they asking me to do 40 episodes this season? And I couldn't quite figure it out. And then yeah. I heard, oh, it's because they're getting paid more than what they're spending on it. So they're making money. Yeah, you're making a Netflix yeah. show so for IFC money, which yeah. is less. So, so I was- And they're making money. That was the season I was like, well, now you have to pay me a lot of money to do yeah. the show. <laughs> and and I just held out like, the, and they lowballed me too for that season. Of course. And I just held out and held out and ended up getting paid like two and a half times their lowball or something like that. Yeah. Because I was just like, I'm not doing your- Money making show yeah. until you actually pay me. The yeah, deal. you're in profit yeah. off of it, and you're trying yeah. to squeeze me and reduce me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very. Uh, but but it is it up. is interesting. The Comedy Central wouldn't just put out these shows. I think they aired. No. I think what they did was like it was like Thanksgiving weekend, and they like aired every episode over a week. And then it like disappeared and went to Netflix. That was the first or, or, show I ever worked on. They did that where we were like making it. And it was like, I think we were going to have like a whatever Sunday nighttime yeah, slot. Yeah. And it was an animated sketch show. And then it all of a sudden was like, it's going to be on at 4.30 p.m. <laughs> every day <laughs> for eight days. During and Thanksgiving then break. Be, and then it will not. And this was like, yeah, and then you know, we'll never a put it year of else. work for people. And it's just like eight days and it's gone. Not only like a year of work for us, for Rory, he had been doing this character yeah. for like 15 years. I had yeah. seen him do the stand-up in New York as this character. So I, just thinking about someone coming in as the creator like that, like, he developed the show with Anthony. We worked on it for a year. He must have worked on it for multiple years. Oh, yeah. You and it to, gets made. And it's yeah. good. We get Bo Bridges to be in it. And then yeah. it's like, yeah, oh, they're yeah. going to air it. Holland was amazing overnight. in it. Yeah. It's, year, yeah. like, it's it really was great. Funny. It was you have a to good, wonder if you would cast. rather not have done it. Like, you put your trust I, in these companies to, yeah. to caretake these things that you do. And, yeah, I know back before streaming you would do a show and it would disappear but there were so many more people watching it at the time yeah even a comedy central thing like all those 90 shows that have disappeared like a lot of people watch them and so well, they have them I in their memory remember those shows mm -hmm. yeah like where it's like you remember random sitcoms yeah. that you watched a handful of episodes of, but then like these days something you work so hard you you work just as hard as those people did no one sees it yeah. and it's not streaming anywhere. And it goes it's away. like, why it are we doing any of this? No, it is. It is strange. Um, so, so that was the Robbie experience. Um, are we and hearing then, your whole life story? I can't remember no, no, where no, this no. started. No, he started, <laughs> no, I just he started want, from Robbie. I was just are we going about... all the way up to sitting <laughs> down right here? We'll get there soon. <laughs> so we'll, at minute 40, we'll hit the actual um, show that we're talking about. Um, I just want to say, Scott, do you remember mm -hmm. the first time that we ever met? Uh, we met at uh, the Coffee Bean, right? No. No, really? Where did we meet first? We met at a table read. Oh, shit. For in what? the Mosaic offices for some like knockoff of the movie Waiting. Like, do you, it was like a, you know, the Ryan Reynolds movie Waiting about so, like a sort of, I know what restaurant. it is. Yeah. There was a movie that, as far as I could tell, was the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> Waiters. Serving. Little, little worse. I think it might have been called Serving. Really? I, it might have been called Serving or Servers. And we listened to it? Or we, I, I went in, I was like pretty new to LA and I uh -huh. went to the mosaic offices and I read all the lines for like the lead. And there were a bunch of random, you know, mm. young struggling actors there reading it. And then you were there as sort of like 
guy, the the writer guy. I wasn't the writer to like guy. Give, no, it was someone else had written bunch, it. Right? Someone else had written it, but you were there. You were the primary have, person there to like give really? notes. I feel like because I don't remember it at all. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it was. How were um, my notes? Were they terrible? No, but it was interesting. And I like knew I whatever I knew uh, comedy death ray and all. Mm-hmm. And but I um, so I was like oh cool, I'm going to hear Scott Ackerman give notes on this script because uh-huh. I'm trying to learn this stuff. And you were like very straightforward, I recall. <laughs> That's one of my, I mean, even back to the Mr. Show days is yeah. like Bill Odenkirk would say like, Scott tells you what he thinks, <laughs> which was always very valuable yes. in certain places. But I think also occasionally in producing like i learned how to soften it a little bit and like lead with all the exciting stuff that you I'm find working on it too yeah <laughs> even if even if there's not a lot you know yeah. and occasionally there will be times where like there just is barely anything and you have to yeah. really just say like okay this we you know but i don't know what was so, i straight for how it did wasn't I... I mean i don't recall a lot of specific notes but it mm-hmm. was like you know i mean what would you like with the movie you're like I mean, this is what it is. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, it was bad. I'd like though, to right? let it was terrible. Okay. So I wasn't wrong. No, you were totally right. Yeah. It I was like this, that's so weird because I do not remember. I remember the mosaic offices mm-hmm. I, because I used to be repped there. Me and, too. And they pr- produced a movie that I wrote, and it was just a really bad situation and then my manager went to work there and i was like please don't make me go back to mosaic ever again but um but yeah i i remember a couple of those but that is Mm -hmm. one that i has just been wiped from my memory that's so strange we'll see we'll dig up a photo or something (laughs) we took photos (laughs) yeah you you took a lot of photos we take photos of all the table reads wait but why were you i mean you were just an actor in it why were you like hanging out afterwards to listen we just everybody was everybody stayed in the room and we all talked about the script and what we thought about the script but like i didn't fucking give you know i just was like yeah Mm -hmm. thanks (laughs) no pretense a refreshing lack of pretense that anyone was considering me to be cast in any just like it's fair you're allowed to read this i feel like i was sort of um kind of faking it uh in terms of like how to write scripts maybe until eight years ago or so i just was kind of like i have good taste yeah and i've i'm a i'm a good sketch writer but as far as like narrative i was just kind of like i know what i like but i don't quite and i've read a lot of screenwriting books and i know the terms and i but i i couldn't quite figure out how to unlock structure for a really long time and Mm -hmm. i would even watch like videos and stuff like that and i remember like the one that i was talking about that uh, with the woman who said that it was too much like something about mary i remember sitting there watching the movie working girl because it was supposed to be it ended up Similar, like more yeah. like something like that and just writing down line by line everything that happened just mm-hmm. plot and going like how do i crack this how do i and until like i finally read some things that unlocked some stuff for me mm-hmm. now i think i have a pretty good handle on it you know you can always get better but i yeah. just remember those those periods being like me just kind of faking it and just saying yeah. okay this Did is what i think of you study writing or anything in college or sort of no. self-taught self-taught yeah same it was all yeah. but it was all like i remember one particular screenwriting book that i read in when i was 24 or something that made me go like oh okay i understand what they mean when they say 
three acts and it had mm-hmm. certain terms like ticking clock and stuff yeah. in it that I was like, oh, okay, I understand that now. So I, I had a loose grasp yeah. on it. And then I wrote my first spec, which was a movie spec. And that's what got me sort of management yeah. and, and it almost got made several times, but they kept saying people who were attached weren't movie stars. They were like, Jack Black's not a movie star. Will Ferrell's not a movie star. Wow. Owen Wilson isn't a movie star. Ooh, like all right these people. All I disagree. <laughs> um, about one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. will let you decide. Tom Green was almost <laughs> attached. That's a movie star. A movie star. <laughs> movie star. <laughs> he was almost, he, he almost decided to do it and then he decided to do Freddie Got Fingered instead because uh, okay. he wrote that. And then um, finally uh, Rain Wilson attached and it got a green light um, at MTV Studios, Bob Odenkirk directing. And then uh, the Brad Gray, I think over the weekend said, no, I'm never going to do that. And uh, it got the red light after a weekend. And so he did The Rocker instead. He was like, fuck, oh, yeah. I got to do another movie. So mm-hmm. he did The Rocker instead. Why was I saying this? But, I guess um, I asked if anyone. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, structure, that, that, movie, structure. that movie structure is crazy. And yeah. all these executives would would say to me, like, you know, if you just did this, this, and this with the structure, it would be more marketable. It would yeah. be like, and I would constantly go, yeah, but I just like it the way it is. Yeah. I don't know if I was right or wrong, but I it was just something I had to really like figure it out over decades yeah. of confusion and constantly like looking up websites going, structure, how do you do this? Well, it's one of those and, things too where like obviously it is very refreshing when something has a unique structure. Um, but yeah. a lot of times it is someone who understands exactly what the rule they're breaking is yes. and, and why, why it, and yeah. is doing it to subvert your expectations and, in some way rather than somebody who's kind of guessing. And weirdly, <laughs> even those things that break structure, that seem to break structure, if you really break it they down, do. it they're, has, they're honoring it in a they're unique do, way. They're doing yeah. the right structure. So once I figured out essentially what what real movie structure is, now it's like impossible to watch a movie without going like, Tick, okay, there's the person with the problem uh, section yeah. gone. And now mm-hmm. we're into promise, uh, power of the premise and like all that kind of yeah, like yeah, 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 every yeah. single movie has the exact same structure if you really look at it, you know? So mm-hmm. now it's easy for me to like kind of figure it out. But even then, like on the Between Two Ferns movie, there's certain things where and that was all often outlined, but I had outlined it with what I thought the right structure was. And then yeah. you get into the editing room and you're like, why the fuck did I make the first act so long? Yeah. Why the fuck is the third act not compacted? Why didn't I compact these things? But you've already shot it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like, it's a constant learning process, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have things that are essential that are like jammed into this mm-hmm. big piece. Right. Like, right. Yeah. That you remove can't it. Cut. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I always find it interesting the people like you've worked on a lot of sitcoms yeah and even that structure is something that i i approximated it on the bang bang tv show sitcom structure but i think we had our own structure that we followed yeah i'm a little interested in people like you who have worked on so many sitcoms like what that structure is of like the the five act sitcom structure right you know you've you've never asked me I've worked on a lot of sitcoms well uh, we just met actually yeah we just met (laughs) why would i talk to you about (laughs) that's true yeah well i'll I'll say like I also came up through sketch and then mm-hmm. like my I've talked about my writing partner and I wrote a pilot like that probably that our showrunner that hired us told us like the structure of this isn't great. Mm-hmm. Um but there's funny stuff in here. It was right. enough to meet and then we had a good meeting. But you know, 
that's what's nice about and what to bring it back to the strike again as they're sort of eliminating the staff writer position yeah. or that traditional um kind of ladder that you climb you know you go in as a staff writer and you maybe don't know the structure that well but you're funny and you've got yeah. jokes you can pitch or you've got like cool creative ideas and like a way to like kind of uh come up with a plot twist that the creator might not have thought of and that's your role is like you're supposed to have minor contributions yeah because you're the the cheapest person on staff yes. <laughs> and you're there partially to learn. And so you sit in the room as they have these conversations about like, that can't be the act blow. And it's yeah. like, well, why can't that be the act blow? And you're trying to figure it out as you're hearing. All yeah. This. And yeah. you pick it up piece by piece. So you like, you finish that job and then you go to another job and then at workaholics, they actually had a literal story formula on yeah. the board and they yeah. would, and they would plug it into the formula and, right. and that worked great for that show. Yeah. Um, but then for other ones that had more like smaller B and C stories, you couldn't use it or you would need to right. do three of them. So you, you do kind of pick up piece by piece as you climb through it. And that's part of why that, that system is so essential because right. then by the time someone gets to be an EP on a show, then suddenly you're the person who can tell the people. Yes. And you yeah. can say, I've worked on seven different shows and we can borrow this from this one and that from yeah. that one. And this is, and I can just feel it now when the structure is off. Yeah. Even if I don't know exactly why. That's, that's so true. Like not to take up too much time talking about this, but no, I, I, um, got my first job because I took a pilot writing class Yeah, and I wrote a pilot in the class. And Anthony King, I did Ask Cat with Anthony King. The in writer New York. of that Lauren Boebert musical? Hey. <laughs> That's what he's famous for. <laughs> he just like asked me, do you have a sample? I sent it to him. Luckily, had just finished it, literally mm -hmm. like weeks before. And so I like got this first job on Playing House. Like I didn't know I wanted to be a writer. Like I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to do it. Like I still don't yeah. know what the fuck is going on. And it was similar, like Anthony wasn't in the room, like asking me to be like, well, what do you think should happen at the end of yeah. Act One? But like, if I had a funny joke or a funny pitch on a situation, like that would be helpful. But I worked with Anthony four times. Like Robbie was the, the yeah. fourth, the third time I'd worked with Anthony. So I got to watch the way he talked about story a lot. And, you know, I had to be a staff writer three times, part of the reason we're on yeah. strike anyways. But I got a lot of time to just like watch people talk about story. And now I'm in rooms and I'll get asked in an interview like, like, what do you think you're good at? Jokes or story? And I'm like, at this point, like you kind of have to be good at story. Like I've worked yeah. like 10 shows. So yeah. it's like, if I'm not able to talk to you about story, something's wrong with there, me. There are people I know who get hired on sitcoms and they go like, they almost defeat themselves and they go like, well, I'm not good with story. I'm it's just like, here to do jokes. You it's have like, yeah. to be learn. good at it. Yeah. Learn. Like, yeah, please learn. Know. Yeah, But like at the yeah. end of the day, it's like I only learned how to do any of this because people were willing to be like, we'll just hire Sean and let him yeah. pitch a bunch of bullshit while no, we figure out the story. And, I, and, I mean, it's the and same getting thing. rid of that position is fucked because yeah. then you'll never get to learn it. You know, It's mm -hmm. the same thing with Sketch in a way because I was hired. Mr. Show was my first writing job and – and you go in there and you're like, I, I'm a funny guy and I've written like sketches mm -hmm. and I, I wrote a few sketches to get me this job. And yeah. And then the very first day, Bob was always very, very insistent on everyone talking. And, oh, yeah. and I was kind of like, I went in there going, I remember saying this to Andy Kindler, like, I'm bad with story. I'm bad with structure. I'm just mm -hmm. going to be the guy who like occasionally throws a joke in. And he's like, oh, okay. 
And then Bob turned to me the very first sketch that we read on the very first day that was in someone's packet and goes, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and didn't talk to any of the people who had been there for years. He yeah. just like turned to me and said, what do you think? And I'm testing you. Yeah. <laughs> but so much and of the I, job is faking it. In I had to say yeah. what I thought. And mm-hmm. I just like said what I thought in my head. And he went like, oh, that's really smart. And it was like valuable oh, to good. him. And we changed the sketch based on what I thought, you know, and it was so just, now you're like, I can cool. pitch those things. Yeah. And that's your just, taste, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. you have, you have an instinct. Exactly. For but you have to sort of listen. And I remember on Bang Bang, when all the birthday boys left to get, to get their own show, suddenly we had an influx of people who this was their, not only they'd never worked on Bang Bang before, but this was their first show. Mm-hmm. And they're all just like sketch writers who had never had a job before. Yeah. And we suddenly have to break their first job was we have to break the story for Reggie's goodbye episode. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's a plot. It's it's basically our format gets thrown out the window. There's barely yeah. any You're just like, doing like a big talk show part. It's a full narrative special. episode. And I remember them just sitting there for three days while Neil and I, Neil Campbell <laughs> stayed. And he and I were the only people who knew how to do it. And we just like were discussing it for three days while they sat there watching and I would yeah. like turn to them and I'd be like what do you guys think of it you know and they like a lot of them just had nothing to add because they're wow. sitting there like trying to learn what we're even talking about the language of what we're talking yeah. about you know and but that's it's so valuable to have be have that kind of job where people are patient with you not just going like fuck I need you I need 10 people who can yeah. Tell me how to do story. I didn't expect that from anyone. I just, mm-hmm. you know, but anyone's brain can be, you know, valuable. And anyone who thinks that they don't know what they're talking about can say something that unlocks something for you. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a combo of like not putting all the weight on someone, but being mm-hmm. like, we want to hear your thoughts yeah. because you can get, you know, you'll somebody will really surprise you. Who's yeah, like that was one thing about 30 Rock that I thought was interesting. I, you did this, Sean. You were one of the like background writers. Yes. There were like many background writers that just didn't say a fucking word. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I used to always think, oh, right. that's interesting. It's just like background. And then mm-hmm. when I was working, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm one of those guys who just kind of sits around silently, <laughs> raises his hand for one little thing. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. funny. Oh, uh, OK. So we'll talk about uh, Studio 60 now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's uh, so minute 54. F- so hard but, cut to you sitting down on this couch. <laughs> yes. Okay. Here we go. We're here. Um, Sorkin. Do yeah. we have a Sorkin take? What's our Sorkin take, everybody? Okay. I We were talking before the show about Sports Night. I never mm-hmm. watched an episode, so I, di- I don't really know. I West Wing seemed like it would be annoying to me, so I missed the first season. Mm-hmm. And then caught the second season premiere and got really into it and then watched it to the end. Yeah. So I thought I liked Sorkin. Yeah. Um, then Studio 60 came out and I was like, oh, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> um, and I was like, I wonder if it's the same thing with politics where yeah. like people who are in politics are like, this is totally, like, this phony, is totally fucking like stupid, right? Yeah. Because every comedian watches Studio 60 and thinks it's so fucking bad. Yeah. So then I watched the newsroom and was like, oh, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. But yeah. but occasionally I'll see something like his To Kill a Mockingbird where I'll go like, I mean, he did a pretty good job with it. Well, I, he, he wrote a so he wrote Social Network, which yeah. is like Great. Yeah, one screwed. of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Right. Um, uh, a Few Good Men kicks ass. Yeah. Like he's like a he, he was, you know, a playwright yeah. and had like 
really unlocked certain formulas to like yes. manipulate the audience emotionally, which is part of the job yes. and like do these and manufacture these like big moments that feel really powerful. Speechifying and these, like, moments. Reveals, too. Yeah. Big speeches, Everyone you know, talks pulling like the rug out from under, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. yes. And yeah. And sort of like in the mammoth mold, right. Writer, like, we're probably writing. word perfect. Yeah. And like, you know, I've said before, I don't really always love the criticism of things feeling written because it's like you, it's sometimes, a writer. Yeah. Sometimes it's that's a, the vibe. Yeah. yeah. It's like there's, that's a style. Sometimes, sometimes you are and sitting cool. there to listen to great dialogue. Yeah. I don't want them to talk to, like I yeah. talk. Like I hear that enough. Like yeah. I want them to yeah. talk like a really brilliant writer, put the words <laughs> right. in their mouth. Right. So that can be cool. So I think he can be really good, but this is coming off the West Wing, which was yeah. like the hottest shit in the world in which he got people, he got fired from. Yeah. And and it felt like maybe he was like victimized in some mm -hmm. ways because it was like, oh, the network suits are trying to fucking squeeze this guy who's like a genius. Because people people don't like the last couple seasons of the West Wing, but I remember liking them. So, yeah, the John Wells ones like I, I thought that last season was kind of very thrilling. Actually, the Alan Alda, Jimmy Smith's one. Like, yeah, I, I thought it was legitimately good when i watched it so i have yeah. no idea but but the you're right the the sort of viewpoint on it was yeah he's always late with the scripts and his cocaine use yeah, was yeah, dragging everything out with drugs yeah um, uh, and and they were so far behind on the schedule mm -hmm. and way over budget because of him yeah but he's the whole reason the show is good yeah. and there's a lot of i mean milsh was like that like there's a lot of these like big mm -hmm. you know writers where it was like everything has to run through them and they have to mm -hmm. do it you know at the very last minute because that's when they're inspired meanwhile jeselnik is doing production accounting and, um, <laughs> on deadwood <laughs> um i think sorkin is like it's as a writer like the more i learn about the industry the more i'm like cringing at him a little bit but like mm -hmm. when i didn't know anything about writing and i watched sports night like i was manipulated by it like i would yeah. see these like stories about this behind the scenes fucking like oh the guy broke his leg we're gonna do a big story about it yeah. like even though i didn't care i, I liked espn but i wasn't like needing to be watching tv about sports but like he he does something with his writing like you might be annoyed by it but it's successful in that it's just like a, he knows how to write a successful yeah. scene with like dialogue that no, like uh, he, comes off the page, whether it's annoying or not. If but, I yeah, if I take off my cynical like I'm a writer now to glasses and just go like and it's like I you can say some of it's cringy or corny, but the fact is I did watch sports night episodes where I was mm -hmm. like, oh my god, like, <laughs> Walter's teaching him. <laughs> like, it's just I something just about felt it. it. I and, love softy. And, and when know? he writes about the thing that like hits the nerve, like social network, I think hits with a lot of us because I don't know, the themes of that movie are like very poignant. And if well, you, he co wrote Moneyball too. It's one of the best yeah. scripts well, ever. I fucking that's one of my favorite movies, <laughs> yeah. Moneyball. It's one of my favorite Mr. Bean movies. Yeah. Exactly. Billy Bean. Billy yes. Bean, of course. <laughs> Billy Bean, Mr. Bean. Puts a uh, um, turkey but, on his head. Uh, but then you see the two things he's done about a field that we know a lot about, <laughs> yeah. which is the Lucy Ricardo thing in this. Yeah. He writes these scenes where people are coming up with comedy scenes and they are so different than how any comedy writer would ever come up with the comedy scenes. The scenes where Lucy R Ricardo is sitting there visualizing how she's going to do a pratfall are so fucking ridiculous because no comedian would ever do that. Mm -hmm. Like... 
she obviously like got out there and said like, oh, do a pratfall and then like worked it out like with her body. She didn't yeah. sit there like visualizing. But what I she guess was the do. question, Scott, is like, yeah. is that interesting to watch? Because like I I, while I know that's not how a comedy idea comes together, like watching it, I'm like, yeah, this is how. I want to see any idea come together in a movie. I want to see someone stop and think about it. Like, even yeah. though that can sometimes He's be a cringe. little bit, as you say, like the old, when you know what he's talking about, you're like, wait a minute, this guy's yeah, a clown. Like, mm-hmm. it's a little Malcolm Gladwell. Interesting. Where like, you know, when he's writing the tipping point and it's like, wow, this is how marketing works. And this mm-hmm. is how like the public consciousness works. <laughs> and he is very good at like synthesizing an idea and like writing it in a very digestible way. But then- like I remember when he wrote, I think whatever the fucking ten thousand hours one was, and he was talking about um some like middle school basketball team that did like full court press the whole time and how they had like cracked the system of basketball <laughs> in a new way. And then my friend who like coached youth basketball was like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Like this wouldn't work. It, it sounds works, like he knows. It what he's works talking about. because they're in like a middle school basketball league and they're the only ones doing it. But you right. can't just like. The Pistons can't do that tomorrow and win the championship. Like, it's like, that's what he implies. Like, he takes, he cherry picks this tiny piece of data, just extrapolates that out and like, and then this solved it. And like, if everyone had just played guitar in Hamburg more, like, we would have had more Beatles. And it's like, no, the (laughs) Beatles were special, dude. They were fucking special. Like, yes, the practice was helpful, but a lot of people were playing in those fucking bars. They were not the Beatles. So like, I think it's similar with when you read about him talking about something you know about, you're like, wait, this guy's an idiot. Mm-hmm. And Sorkin's the same way where as long as you're not too close to it, it's yeah. like, whoa, this cool. is cool. You're really dramatic, like <laughs> dramatizing the social network. Like, I don't know anything about that. But as soon as he starts talking about comedy, it like is so yeah. fucking hard to not. I just have out. a thing about and, and there, there's this new graphic novel about the writer of the Nancy comic strip, uh, Ernie, uh-huh. Ernie Bushmiller. And it's it's a person who does, I, I wish I could remember who does it, but I've read a few pages that are devoted to the writer of the comic strip getting the idea. Mm-hmm. And the person seems to have no idea how a person gets <laughs> an idea. So say it's some simple strip of like Sluggo is, gets a steamroller and steamrolls something to make it flat. The person who wrote this graphic novel has the the guy writing the idea going, do I get this to be flat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he I know sees, that's the punchline. And he line. sees a steamroller in a window and is like, "I've got it." It's like, no, the the obviously the way he came up with the idea is he saw a steamroller is like, what else could be flat? <laughs> do, you, <laughs> like, do you just Sean? Is there something that you've watched that you feel like is a better representation of like how people come up I, with ideas? I or? actually, I actually wanted to ask you guys, s- sort of similarly, like, uh, just. On on Studio Sixty, mm-hmm. have you seen anything that does capture comedians hanging out? Like, so there's the scene where they're at the kind of after party, mm-hmm. and this group of comedians sits down together, <laughs> and they have Sorkin-esque pithy dialogue with yeah. each other. Where I guess they're like quips. Yeah, but not a single bit <laughs> is done by anyone yeah. through the entire yeah. show, which is, I think, like when you hang out like with comedians. And I wonder, has it been expressed, and could it be translated? I feel like if you showed somebody like coming in and just like being a character without explanation, which happens so often, yeah. like yeah. 
it would never look good on film or like in a TV. I, I can't I, think of it. If happening. I remember correctly, I think they try to do it in Don't Think Twice, the improv movie. They do, yeah. yeah. But I think so. But I think like I don't remember it feeling that successful. Like I remember kind of cringing at that movie also. Yeah. But no, I I think part of the I gotta watch that for this show. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should. you should. Part of the part of the issue with Studio Sixty is. I remember watching the pilot and really liking it. And mm-hmm. I, even, even when we just watched it, I yeah. was kind of like, this is a good it's pilot. A well, like, if you don't know um, anything about anything. But, like, but here's the problem is, is like Sorkin decided to do this show because I think he like hung out on the set of Bill Maher or right. something, <laughs> someplace. I can't remember. It might have been Funny SNL, show? but I feel like it was Bill Maher. Yeah. And he was struck by how seriously all of the people took the comedy. Right. And okay. he was like... Oh wow, they're having these really like long, deep discussions about what they're trying to say. It was a lot like what we tried to do on Mr. Show, right? Mm-hmm. People would people would take the ideas we were talking about seriously to, to the point where like sometimes Bob and Dave would would scream at each other for three yeah. days, you know. But that's what he was struck by, and so that's what he wanted to do with this: is show a bunch of people who are passionate about mm-hmm. their art and their art being important, right? Mm-hmm. So the the great thing about the pilot is it never gets into the comedy of it all. It's all about deal making. The and pilot, it's... yes, the pilot, which you pointed out, it's not as much about the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, you're not seeing the writing process. Yeah. At least they talk about the quality of sketches yes. and things, but you're also not really never seeing, seeing the, the sketches. For I the think most episode part. two suddenly they start showing the process of mm-hmm. how how they came up with ideas, and suddenly it was basically Sorkin trying to put his West Wing experience onto a comedy show and mm-hmm. ev- every comedian was like, whoa, this is not how it's done. Because yeah. Sorkin's experience on the West Wing is very atypical where he purportedly, or he feels like he wrote every episode himself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he quickly got Matt Albee writing every sketch by himself yeah, and sitting there throwing a ball against the wall or whatever he does in order to come up with it. Instead, like... When you're doing sketch, you f- you start with a funny thing that you noticed. Yes. And usually that's what happens is like w- when it would come time on Mr. Show to pitch, it would be like, okay, what do you got today? And most times people wouldn't have a full sketch yeah. in their mind. But like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there's one guy who was at the Capitol on January 6th who wrote, uh, <laughs> who wrote this. Um, Paula Tompkins. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Paul was the guy wearing the full mask <laughs> with the zip ties. A lot of people Feet don't up know on that. Pelosi's uh, table. No, the Everest sketch. Um, that was just a story that Jay told about a party he was at, right? And he tells this story. It's really, really funny uh, about a, a party where he was at, where it was a uh, it was a bar cart uh, with bottles instead of thimbles right mm-hmm. and he's just like yeah i was at this party and i sat i accidentally sat down on this rolling bar cart <laughs> and it rolled across the room and everything fell out and everyone was so mad at me and we all joined in we picked it up and put everything back in the bar cart and then i absentmindedly <laughs> leaned on it again and it flew across the room <laughs> and it just happened twice right and everyone yeah. was like ah ha, ha. and then you got bob going like oh i think this might be a sketch yeah. how do we do it and then we but it starts with the funny thing right yeah and you're laughing about it and having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, me coming in and going like, uh, I remember one, just something I noticed or some like little tiny thing I thought of. Or the other way is like when Clinton was being impeached, 
we were sitting there like going, how do we address this? Obviously, we never did Clinton stuff, but we, mm-hmm. we were like, well, how do we feel about this? And we just talked about how we felt about it. And until I was like, it's so weird that the, all of this furor over like just a tiny bodily function, like he came. Yeah. I was like, it's like if he farted and didn't own up to it. And then yeah. Bob was like, okay, that's it. That's yeah. that's the sketch, right? And so then we write the sketch about a guy, a president blaming his fart on mm-hmm. <laughs> and doing the whole whoever yeah. smelt a Delta, all that kind of stuff in presidential language and all that. Well, it's interesting because so, it's that, that show... It does some of the sketches um, really feel timeless, but also in the moment were clearly about something right. that was happening. But the fact that you take it like A to C, as they say at UCB, right. where it's like you like make a comparison that's like two degrees removed, where it's like it's not Clinton right. and it's not come. Right. <laughs> and then now we have this thing now where it just can exist yeah. of like the idea of someone blaming something and it being this big deal. Right. And it's a commentary. I think that's why a lot of that stuff holds up. But then you watch Studio 60 and as the show progresses, it just turns into this one writer never checking in with anyone about his ideas and just mm-hmm. slaving away over it. And then he's he's never thinking about the funny thing. He's always thinking about what he wants to say. What's important. What's <clears throat> yeah, the what's message. important. What what's gonna, you know. Well, and that's the and that's the fatal flaw for the entire show, right? Where it's not just, I think, that if you're in politics, you realize Sorka doesn't know about politics. Okay, maybe that is true. But also when the president is deciding whether or not to pardon someone from death row, mm-hmm. like the speechifying and the high stakes Actually, are warranted. <laughs> warranted, yes. And when it's about like whether or not they're going to air a particular comedy sketch, like yeah. it's very hard to make it feel as important. But his dialogue and the level of import that is placed on things never changes. And the performances are yeah. all like so in the pocket of like this could be fucking the west wing yeah and i I, I, the funniest the the lap like the thing that made me laugh the most in this kind of illustrates that point is like they're talking about the sketch that got cut the whole episode the sketch got cut brilliant sketch and it's this brilliant sketch and the whole thing is like well should be on the air this is the type of thing we should be doing there's multiple conversations about the sketch and then at the end uh forget the actress's name um who's one of the big three sarah paulson is like do you want to know what the sketch was called crazy christians (laughs) And, and I like and then, yeah. laugh, pack the punch. I laugh so too. loud. Every comedy writer sits there going like, <laughs> like we... I would defy anyone to write a sketch called Crazy Christians and make <laughs> that, it be that good. Honors the title <laughs> and make, that it, has, be and make like it be important. Good. Make it make it not only important. I don't just care if it's good. important. Just <laughs> just a funny sketch. Well, I defy so, anyone yes, to write anything. Going, this is the quality of writing in this sketch. <laughs> Yeah. was better than this show I've had seen, seen in five years. Yeah. Oh like, my God. it was so it, incredible. It, it, I didn't think Wes still had the fastball <laughs> to yeah. write a sketch that funny. They, they just build it up the whole episode. And yeah. then when she says it, I was like, there's a version of this show where they in, like know how stupid that is and like lean into it. And I bet it could have been really funny. Yeah. But it's not a Sorkin show. Yeah. No, they, I also feel like Sorkin is, is basically transposing all of his experiences on the West Wing and in his personal life. Yeah. And just putting them in a comedy thing and they just don't work. You know, yeah. it's like, yes, the Sarah Paulson, Matt Albee relationship is all based on his relationship with uh, Christian Chenoweth. Chenoweth, yeah. 
So, and she's a Christian and they, that was a big point of contention. Yeah. So I imagine that the whole Star Spangled Banner thing is an argument they actually had after yeah, yeah. she sang the Star Spangled Banner. And I imagine the 700 Club thing is That's an argument they actually argument, had. Yeah. But the crazy Christians part of it all is probably a scene he wrote for the West Wing about Christian people. Yeah, about like the, yeah, the Christian right, right. like sort of like trying to push the president's hand towards right. some like homophobic and, policy or and something. And maybe he had a discussion yeah. with the network about that that irked him where they're saying like, we can't, you we know, can't offend yeah. Christians. That works in a drama is fine. Yeah. But then like comedy shows have been making fun of preachers and st- like yeah. for decades. And, and the idea of an SNL balking the, you know, this... This sketch show that has had the church lady on from <laughs> since 1985 yeah. balking at a show called Crazy Christians. We can't is, have the Christians be yeah. crazy. They've got to be smart. Is so out of touch. And then, <laughs> and then also from a comedy writer's perspective, <sighs> having a sketch called Crazy Christians, it's, it can't bad. be done. It's, it's, it it's, cannot it's be done. really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, let me uh, let me speed through some of this plot. So yeah. we open up with uh, it's the 20th season of the show. D.L. Hughley's uh, introducing. I had a friend who worked on D.L. Hughley's Comedy Central show, mm-hmm. and what he said about him was, he will come in one day and tell you the funniest fucking joke you've ever heard in your life, and and destroy and just be like, you'll be like, oh my god, this guy's a superstar. He's so funny, and he'll come in the next day with the single worst comedy idea you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. And he has no, no idea which is which. Like, cannot feel He's it. out there taking swings and never knows if Which he's is like ball. a really remarkable, and by the way, mm. as you talked about, like your own taste, like dictating part of your career, like that response to Odenkirk at the moment, like that's such a thing, because he obviously is a funny, successful stand-up and mm-hmm. was cast in this show and has had a lot of opportunities, but you do see that where it's like that's such a crucial piece it's the ability to differentiate and some people don't have it and some people lose it i mean there are certain i'm on my way yeah (laughs) but there are certain recent comedy specials where i've been like oh you used to be able to tell that that was a bad joke or a hacky joke yeah now you can't you wouldn't have done it interesting interesting yeah like oh wow oh all the trans stuff that everyone is doing yeah. You used to be able to tell that that wasn't good enough. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And people internalize too, like, I don't know, like you, again, being in enough sitcom rooms and like we had that hack board at Workaholics with the jokes right, you weren't yeah. allowed to do, but like you do start to just like get to the end of the scene and go like, well, I know this is a joke mm-hmm. and I know it's a joke that right. like in the same way that like executives will like hire or cast the same people because they're like, I can't get in trouble. Somebody else did it. Right. You're like. Dom would have a bit of like him just like rubber stamping certain things as a joke, like just having a stamp that (laughs) says joke so we could get out of a scene of like, it's a joke. That's a joke. joke." Like, sorry, can't approve this. It's not a joke. So, no, the um, the, the act blows. You go through so many tempers of those just to get something on paper. Yeah. And you do. Sometimes I do worry or am aware even that like things that I would have been like, I've got to do better than this. Then I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it's a joke. Like, you, we can move on. It, it is technically a joke. Yeah. I remember one sketch I ended on Mr. Show with me. I think Brian and I wrote it. Brian Posehn and I wrote it and I ended the sketch with the two of us accepting Emmys. <laughs> and he's like, and just something that made us laugh and just Bob 
has been around the block so much. He's just like, ah, oh, yes, the classic writer ending with them accepting an award. <laughs> bit. <laughs> you know, just really dryly. I'm like, okay, I guess all right. we'll do that. Okay, <laughs> yep, my bad. So, so that okay. is a joke and it's been done before. <laughs> um, so uh, he introduces the show. He sees an executive in the corner, so he knows something is up. I guess the S&P guy. Yeah. Who yeah. he's seeing? Stuhlberg. Yep, Stuhlberg. Um, and... Uh, I wanted to ask, have you ever had um, an experience when you're working on a show that like a certain executive or suit starts to appear and you have the feeling of like, this show is in trouble. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Like at Comedy Central, it would yeah. be like certain people weren't there anymore. Right. Like there was a point where like, if you're doing table reads and like the first table read, I worked at Fox a lot. So it'd be like Dana Walden's here and like Johnny Davis and like all the big people. Right. And then like you get to a table read and it's like the most junior, junior, junior executive <laughs> yeah, there. And like, it's like, oh no. They're getting assigned <laughs> to like, right. it's like, come take no notes. No one cares. They don't care enough about this show to annoy us with notes. Like you stop right. getting notes and you're like, oh good, we haven't gotten notes on the past two episodes. You're like, that's very bad. <laughs> like you don't exist anymore. Um, uh, or like when I was on The Grinder, it was like everyone, like Gary Newman and Dana Walton, like everyone came to the last table read of the season mm. and it was like, we're on the bubble. Oh, and, and they're saying goodbye. Everyone's well, <laughs> or, or, it or was they're like, trying to decide. This is like, it. Like if yeah. this crushes, like we're right. We're very close to a pickup. And yeah. if they come and just like people are flubbing, and everyone knew, like it was like mm -hmm. they're all coming. And I heard like Rob telling people like. Let's all make sure we read the script before the table read today. <laughs> right. Like, just like you can't flub your lines. Like, we have to be so right. on point. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't think I've had that experience. Like, anytime a show is canceled or whatever, in my experience, I'm just like, all right, well, there's, I could tell because the show was a good show, it probably was going to get canceled. Yeah. Or like, I liked it, so they must hate it. Um, but the only like executive thing I can think of is like, I work for Mike Schur on a show and he, is like one of those writers that the executives sort of shrink in front of. Yeah. And I loved seeing it. So mm -hmm. like executives would come to our table reads, but they would often like not say anything or have yeah. their heads down or like would be so polite. And I would always be like, are they like afraid of him? And I thought they were. Mm. And I saw an example of it. They were after it was a multicam. So we're doing like a, a read like, and, uh, or we do a run through and they're like, all right, everyone circle up for notes. And it was my episode. So I'm like there on the set, like, all right, let's get notes. And Mike is there. And one of the executives, uh, one of the NBC Universal executives is like, all right, so we want to bring something up. We know it's we like so much hedging. Like we know it's kind of annoying, like, but we do want to bring it up. Like we kind of feel like the end of act three is not working. And you know, in my head, I'm like, all right, well, the executives are talking. And I look at Mike and he immediately winds up with like what I think is like a Sorkin-esque monologue mm -hmm. where he's like, you know what? I think that's a good idea. That is a good idea. Why don't we go back to the invention of stories <laughs> <laughs> and make it so that we create this new barrier so you guys can sell commercials? <laughs> and he like goes off for like three minutes in this way that when I was watching the show, I was like, I've only seen one person talk like this. <laughs> and they all kind of are like, 
Okay. Well, that's why we didn't want to bring it up. And then we never <laughs> heard another word about it. So like, so I don't know. Now I, I look at executives in a way where I'm like, that's God, funny. I want to get to a point where I'm not fucking worried about them anymore. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been pretty insulated from executives being on set usually. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that I can really think of was the Emmys. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, and even so we were pretty much left alone because when you're, when you're working with a host on one of the award shows, it's pretty much everyone wants that host to just do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they barricade the host and, and the host staff from every other part of the show. And they're just like, you guys do your own thing. Yeah. So the, the one thing that ever happened was, uh, Andy was practicing his monologue and the two Fox executives were there and started sort of like whispering and stuff like that. And, there was a joke about Ryan Murphy that I had written that the other thing that that you're not ever supposed to do is tell tip off anyone about a joke that is coming up about them because mm. you never you don't want to get in a situation where like people are approving jokes or anything yeah. like that they then ran to Ryan Murphy Oh, told fuck. him the joke, said, do you approve it? Ryan Murphy said, no, absolutely not. Uh, they came back and said, Ryan Murphy is just too important to this network. You got to cut the joke. But then they let us have a joke that they made us cut for standards. They're like, we'll give you back this joke. Is that okay? And we like the other thing way better. And oh, we're yeah. like, it's really unprofessional, but I guess <laughs> I guess so. And Someone would be able to leverage that. Yeah, like somebody, somebody be able to like get back all their cut jokes right. by like just writing jokes about very important things right. for the network. Right, right. <laughs> but what was very funny to me is Ryan Murphy then left Fox like immediately uh, after oh, the yeah, Emmys, and it was just it. like, wow. You... Just hearing the joke secondhand was too much for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was it. No, I just like all this protecting of the huge talent, and then he goes and he's going to do them whatever anyway. he wants. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that, that's really funny. We have uh, we have standards of practices here where Judd Hirsch as I thought he was like a Lorne role at first, but he's, it's like no, he's the head writer. Yeah, I um, think I think Sorkin doesn't know who does what. Yeah, well, because so, he was combining. I for was sure. thinking about like when it, in the first moments where it was like, oh, is he Lorne Michaels? I couldn't totally remember, and I was like, wow, that's a funny job Lorne Michaels has, where he has final say on every creative decision but he doesn't write yeah like which is like unusual yeah. well Lauren michaels does take know. a writing credit yes and i and i guess he weighs in on everything and gives notes i think sketches, originally it's like he, a different originally he wrote stuff i think yeah so he just no was he started like, out writing so that's why it's just every year i'm sure his writing gets diminished yeah. every yeah. year that he works on the show but he still gets a credit and gets paid for it and but. i guess but he's not final... he's not actively generating yeah. sketches which is but, like a pretty uh, it's not a role that really exists yeah. in many places I, um, I do think that he's supposed to be lorne i just think that Aaron Sorkin views everything through the prism of how he worked on West Wing. Yeah. So that's what he would do on West Wing is he's the guy who wrote it and was also the Lorne Michaels of it all. Yeah, so, he had to answer every single question and be in charge and deal with S&P and know the network. Yeah, and, and so even though there yeah. are two writers that are mentioned yes, uh, that, come up, that come up later, I think what they're trying to say is he's the Lorne Michaels the who guy. writes every single sketch by himself every week. Well, and the whole concept, like there's only two staff members ever mentioned mm-hmm. and like they are universally loathed and derived as like yeah. the right. shittiest people to ever exist. Right. Who just like, you're just saddled with this money suck contract, which you can tell is sort of how Aaron Sorkin views <laughs> yes. people where yeah, he's got a staff, writers, yes. where it's like, 
you like have to be paying these people. And he does. There's an acknowledgement of like there can be people who are helpful, mm-hmm. but like then there's people who like think they're gonna write some of it, this and is- that's like. You're furious yeah. making. Um, this is I'm the furious. attitude of those showrunners um, that are like, well, no, no, no. I, I want to like Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to yeah. hire some fuck to tell me what he thinks is funny. Yeah, yeah where it's like kind of crazy. What's the like the worst case scenario, right? Is just that they're like there to read some of your writing and give their <laughs> opinion, which you can take or leave. Yeah. Well, like, that's the worst thing that can happen yeah. to you is that they go like, Hey, this turn like didn't totally work for me, and then you either go, "Hey, fuck you," or you take a second look at the fucking turn, or like, like I saw this in, an, or at the very least, I saw this in another sketch once. So maybe we yeah. don't. Oh do my that. god, but that, that's, like the, how, that's yeah. also so the difference between drama writing and comedy writing, which is, um, I remember Dave Thomas from SCTV. He played my dad on the show. Yeah. And he got into drama writing. He's he wrote on the blacklist Bones and, and, yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And I was like, "How is it?" And he goes, "It's so much easier because." It's like writing a comedy, but you don't have to write jokes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, <laughs> he's My, like, you do all the same stuff, yeah. but you just leave out all the jokes. It's great. But but that's what he doesn't get is like in a comedy, you want so many people. You're always like, how many people can we hire? It's so, yeah. You know, it's so hard where it's like you have to do exactly. My friend Craig bounced back and forth between comedy and drama. And he would say the same thing where he's like, you do in a comedy room all the same story work Mm -hmm. like you need the same scenes and like story break and character information and then you need it to be funny like every three or four lines and so it's like you just live in the stew of that for like so long that's also what sorkin doesn't get and when you watch that montage of sorkinisms you know he has the same rhythms of every single person talking yeah. and they tell the same jokes over the five years that he did the West Wing. You yeah. think, you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. That's what he doesn't get about comedy writing is, is yeah, occasionally I would write a sketch by myself mm-hmm. and it would be good. But the best ones, the ones that are the most fun for me is when four people are writing it and then you get characters saying things that you would never think of because three other people helped you with it. Yeah. And there's just like every line is funny. Whereas well, if the idea is great, everyone starts piling on yeah. it because it's like it's such a rich comedic yeah. premise that it's like anyone can get in there and give you like yeah. a killer line for it because it's like when you're writing a scene or like a scene in a sitcom where it's like this is just a funny scene. Like mm-hmm. this is a great idea. Like whatever whatever the um, premise is where it's like this character doesn't realize like mm-hmm. that you know they're coming across this way and there's you know 90 different great dialogue lines you could give them and everybody's jumping in I, and you get to just pick the best five i also think like people have this misconception of like you're writing a show and it's like well you wrote that episode it's like yeah. no we all kind of wrote every single line of this episode yeah. and then also like what jokes did you get and i'm like I don't even fucking remember. Like, I might have brought up an area. Yeah. I can convince myself I was yeah. responsible for any joke or none <laughs> no, of the jokes yeah. in any script I want. No, that's just whether I like it. But the best rooms, but the best yeah. rooms are the ones where it's like, I don't remember where this idea came from, but we're all like on the same yeah. fucking train. And that would always be something I wouldn't like on Bang Bang, where I would write what I consider to be the first draft of hopefully many mm-hmm. of a sketch. And then I would, we would read it and everyone would go, yeah, this is great. Yeah. And I would be like, couldn't anyone else also pitch on it <laughs> yeah. too so we could make it better? Yeah, would maybe that, we make it even funnier. You know, yeah. would that be okay? But but we had to write so much material for that show. Sometimes it would just go through. But, but I remember through. on Mr. Show, it would be like, yeah, I wrote certain things by myself, Monk Academy or the money, the Corey Feldman thing or whatever. 
But the most fun ones were like, you know, Civil War reenactments where just every line is a killer line because yeah. there are three other guys you know, or people helping you, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what Sorkin doesn't get because he's had it so much easier as a drama writer who is considered to be kind of funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's like clever. Yeah. yeah. But he thinks he's a comedy writer. Yes. And that's one of the inherent problems here. And so like. Whatever, they're going to cut the crazy Christian sketch. They're going to replace it with Peripheral Vision Man. Which I also <laughs> defy anyone to write Peripheral Vision Man. Yes, and they're saying it's bad. They do skirt. That's yeah. another thing in the pilot that isn't true later. Later, they're telling you the sketch show is getting better and is good now. Now suddenly pilot, I'm thinking I could write Peripheral Vision Man. Yeah, it's not that hard. In right. the pilot, they're saying all the sketches are bad, so it's like you don't right. have to ever show the goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh man once they do start showing the goods on this show and it's stuff like pimp my trike yes that's what i mean like it's (laughs) It's like when you have to say there's a sketch that works Mm -hmm. they can't deliver that's why this may be the best episode of the show right um where it's like peripheral vision man this sucks has a show or movie ever had good fake sketches in it that you've seen 30 Rock did a smart thing, which is it they was supposed knew the to be so stupid. Yeah. They knew the show they were like, working on was yeah, bad. It was like, yeah. the, the, we need more farts for the fart machine. And it was yeah. like, okay, great. This It is wasn't like, trying to present like, oh my God, tra- like some incredible they, sketch. And it was people who work real funny comedy yeah. sketch people going, yeah. this shit's stupid, what mm. we do. Like has it's there, dumb. Has there been stuff like laughter on the... 80 whatever or 23rd floor or whatever floor it was mm-hmm. that was all that was all in the writing room i feel like we never actually saw any of the sketches there. yeah but has there ever been anything about like the va- or not even vaudeville but early days of television where they're coming up with good sketches i don't know yeah it's hard, yeah. It's hard to say it's really i couldn't i couldn't think of an example i almost think like yeah. an example you'd find closer is like i wrote on a show that was like a high school show and it was like the kids were doing something in the morning announcements and it was kind of their version of a sketch. But I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to say like, this is a good sketch. Yeah. This yeah. is just like what a sketch would look like if dumb kids were doing it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if there's like a. No, I mean, the that. Between Two Ferns movie is the opposite where like everyone thinks the Between Two Ferns episodes are the best part of it, but the right. characters all hate them. <laughs> yeah. They think they're doing a bad job at it. Uh-huh. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the opposite with with Studio 60 where. The sketches are absolutely the worst part of the show, but all the characters think they're genius. Yes. You know, Um, it's tough. I think it's the same with stand up. Like fake stand up doesn't often work. Like punchline. It's worked a couple times. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sometimes stand up like um, funny people sometimes. Yeah. There's like good, good material. Like, um, yeah. You could tell with punchline, like, Barry Sobel worked with Tom Hanks a lot. So you mm -hmm. can see a lot of his influence on it. And then, they're trying to do a Roseanne kind of thing with Sally Field. So, yeah. mm. so like, I'm not a fan of of those acts necessarily. Yeah. But they faithfully the 80s, but they're, yeah, sort of, of doing it. So anyway, yeah, we talk about the hacks that are on staff. The, <laughs> I do, um, everybody's worked with someone like this, but I remember I got a job and there was like a, a very established writing team uh, who was like the who were the co EPs as Ricky and Ron are, and I told someone, and they had like really impressive credits, and I was like, I'm working with these guys. They worked on this and this and this, and my friend who was had been around a little more, we went, Ah, yes, infamous frauds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I've heard so many stories about oh teams God. like that over the years. I remember someone telling me about, about a 
particularly successful team that was known as that fat bitch and his partner. <laughs> and, I feel uh, like we're all talking about the same team. <laughs> the the um, writing team I'm talking about is, I think I mentioned this story before, but one of them ran into me with Hayes on the Fox lot and was like, oh, hey man, how you doing? It was like years after we worked in and they were like, yeah, I got a pilot actually. Maybe you should come in and do something on it because uh, yeah, you could take a look at it. I mean, you're, you're a pretty good joke guy. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I started 11. I was like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll help out on his pilot. And he's just like, what the fuck was that? Like, <laughs> I, like I didn't have enough self-respect for me. He yeah. was like, you're a better writer than him. Like, you're, right. you're a better story and joke oh, guy man. Right. than both of them. And it's I was so like, tough. oh, yeah. I didn't even know to be offended. <laughs> mm. um, but now I... I work with someone who will often be like, hey, you're a good joke guy. Maybe you could take a look at this. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, they are squandering in this episode their opportunity to have Felicity Huffman host. Um, they Which could by the be way, doing was she, a funny... Was she trying to get her kid into college at the, at the in time? The, yeah, when she's off screen. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. She's so stressed about the yeah. show going well. A lot of shady stuff going on off screen. Doesn't want to do the Desperate Housewives monologue piece. I think she should. Um, so, <laughs> Considering it's the only thing anyone has ever seen her in. But... So, so this will touch on, I think, what we've been talking about a lot, which is Aaron Sorkin is a serious writer who's now doing this sketch comedy thing. And I think he felt more comfortable having people from his world, mm -hmm. the drama Doing world. Doing So it's yeah. like the host, like yeah. the host is a fucking grab bag. It's a magic lamp. Like, and like you can get somebody very funny yeah. to be the host who's going, this isn't funny. And you yeah. would trust them about it. But when like Felicity Huffman's going like, I don't know if this monologue is going to be funny enough. It's like, well, I don't know if you know, <laughs> what you know? <laughs> if the monologue, like what if it yeah. was like a big comedy star and then, Sarah Paulson being like the, the funniest comedian yeah. on the planet. Like it's like, no, the, and Nate Cordry, like the whole can show. be funny for sure. But it's like, he's, he's an actor. I think of as doing more dramatic stuff. Yeah. The whole like, show is miscast in a lot of ways and kind of made me hate a lot of the performers for a long time. Like yeah. I, I really did not like Sarah Paulson for a long time because I was like, who's this, not funny person they put into the show. I didn't really I know. know who she was. And then now, like, I've really come to appreciate her. I think she's really, she's actually she's, really funny in life. She's an but, incredible actor. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but, and Nate is another guy who I think is actually, is very funny. He was on the Bang Bang TV show. But they, they make, they put everyone into these non-funny boxes on the show. Yeah. Which doesn't do anyone any favors. So we have the big network moment where um, uh, Judd Hirsch, like. Which, by goes, the way, you call it a network moment. And unfortunately, everyone else does. Like, I, I can see Aaron Sorkin going like, oh. Well, that's I what I wanted to ask. Like, yeah. Is it Crazy. better to, like. Like, call it out and like spotlight it because he's obviously so. inspired by but wait, wait, wait. but I'm like just leave it it's because not even just calling it out three separate, three separate reporters, reporters say it's all like, of the news it's, is talking about it's like it. in, a, in a scene reminiscent of Patty Chayefsky's network say it once can, first even. of all he didn't even write it as good as network no. and but then I feel like it's him going like Oh, I know people are going to think it's a network ripoff. So I have to, uh, I have to say it. But at the same time, to have three people then go like, 
this is as brilliant as network. It's just, you know, it's just like, come on. Reminded me of network. Yeah. I, I feel like don't say anything. And then, is. I feel like don't say anything and then like make a joke about it later or something. It's yeah. very telling that they keep cutting away to the control room while he's going on this rant, because if the rant was good, you'd stay, you'd on, stay the on the rant. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I noticed that too, that like you're only getting snippets mm-hmm. of the rant because it does it can't hold the weight. And a weird of what snippet it about Donald be. Trump, which I thought was very interesting. I Why know. they bring up Trump? Because was he on the Apprentice like at the Trump. time? It's 2006, yes. so I think he was. So that's what it's about. But it's well, very, it's very much at reality TV. Yeah, right, like right, so right, much right, of it right. is at reality TV. And it's interesting because when we did the TV set, they also were like really taking a lot of shots at like the lowest common denominator reality TV and how it's destroying the culture. Right. And I forgot what a big talking point that yeah. was. But what's weird is I, I read, I think, the New York Times review of... And, and by the way, this pilot was pretty much universally reviewed really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and everyone was saying, this is going to be an incredible show. Yeah, um, 30 Rock was DOA because Sorkin yeah. was going to eat mm-hmm. Tina Fey's lunch because he was right. doing the good sketch comedy show. So, um, but in that review, they're like, it's probably a little out of date because like television is good now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because I think reality TV had had really had its big boom. Survivor starts in 2000, right? Or yeah. 2001. Mm-hmm. And it's really like all of those shows that they're making fun of are 2001 through 2003, yeah. 2004, you know? So yeah. 2006, suddenly- Fear factor, I guess. They're, it's like people are eating worms. Survivor. Who wants to have sex with my sister? Yeah, who like, yeah, like all of those shows were in the early boom. And then this comes out at a time when TV suddenly like, there's all these good shows on the air, including yeah. this supposedly. And yeah. So it's a little, but it's also, I, I did think it was interesting that they did talk about like reality TV is destroying our culture. And that's not really as big a conversation anymore. And I think it's partially because audiences are so fragmented that if you mm-hmm. did do a like Joe millionaire type, like morally bankrupt show, everyone fucking watched it and talked about it. Right. And yeah. you, you knew, and now it's like 90 day fiance is or as loathsome as anything. Yeah. And I've watched it, but like, right. yeah, love is blind. But it's like, in terms of wh- you, you what you're maybe seeing, talk about the Bravo shows now or the Kardashians. You'd probably the Kardashians talk about the Kardashians. Still get labeled as like yeah. this is what's wrong with society. You would probably also now, if you were doing this, talk about how like our politics have turned into reality TV. Yeah, yes. probably. I mean, that's what you still talk about Trump. That's what's yeah. interesting about the Trump thing is it's like he, they mentioned Trump. And not quite in like he's destroying the world, but like the rise of reality TV. Rose yeah, they were they were saying Trump. everyone wants to be Trump now. Is that what the yeah, line is something or something like that? Like so that? it's like the reality yeah. TV to Trump pipeline to his popularity to him being president is there. But yeah. it's like they're talking about it like, well, Trump's just a dumbass. You don't want to hear him talking on TV, but it's right. not quite right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And by the way, the sketch that he interrupts is like a George W. Bush cold open <laughs> where it's. Well, they they also like at someone someone says about that particular sketch, they say like, "This is the criticism of it." Yeah, or or this is what it's about. Yeah, no one's going to confuse George Bush with George Plimpton. We get it. Yes, that what? is something what? we've what? done enough of this. <laughs> what George? Why are they the even bringing up George the references George are such a big issue? And the fact that he thinks everyone will be thinking about network, and the fact that like yeah. he's. 
saying George Plimpton. <laughs> All of his uh, references like, are 80 years out yeah. of date. I it's mean. crazy. And it's just like, this is what you're interested in. But you think comedy writers talk about yeah. this. And we will. Yeah. Well, who's um, the person behind George W. Bush in the sketch with white hair? Are they trying to say that is George Plimpton? I don't know, I don't fucking know. what they're trying to do. It's here. funny yeah. because that is I a bad I sketch. I thought it was Cheney. But yeah. <laughs> but that is good, a bad sketch. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, this is the closest I've seen on the show to SNL. So something that would be because on they SNL. would just throw up a presidential yes. impression and say a bunch of and bullshit. say legacy yes. is uh, somebody with nice legs, legs. um <laughs> talk about my uh, legacy uh, and everyone starts laughing i mean it's not that much <laughs> different than you're right i mean that stuff does exist and i yeah but it's yeah whatever the impression's um, not even that good we can speed through meeting jordan mcdeer and the big network dinner mm-hmm. uh this doesn't have much to do with writing the writing of it um i do love to go to a dinner where Ed Asner reads my entire resume to the table. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Jordan's here. Let's talk a lot. I was looking at what you did for work. So you were here for four years. You pioneered yeah. this show. Then Here's they the became pie. number one. Right, right. Um, um, I, I, so this is, you guys mentioned that. She, it's based on Jamie Tarsus. Okay, do you guys have Jamie Tarsus stories? I, I tested for a show that she was the producer on and she was very like I had gone and auditioned and she was like really, really helpful. And nice I, I like and, I, yeah. I again, I worked with her for a year. Mm-hmm. This was the first year that she left the network and then got a got a deal. Mm-hmm. And so she was looking for writers and she I it was one of the easiest things. I just she met with me to to like just see me as a writer and then I tossed off this one idea and then suddenly I had a, you know, yeah. big money script deal, you yeah. know, she, for it. And she's one of those people that like when I came into the industry, I would hear stories about, I knew I would see the name. I, I know the happy name, endings. New happy endings and, and had people that worked with her. So when I got a general with her, I was really excited. I was like, oh, Jamie Tarr is like a big general. So I go into the general and she's so nice, but she's so clearly like sick as fuck. Like mm. she's has like the nastiest flu <laughs> and we're in the meeting and she's sneezing and sniffling and Ugh. she's like, so tell me about the script. And I'm like, at a certain point I was like, you know, um, if you're not feeling well, we can do this another <laughs> time. And she was like, that's great. Let's do it another time. Uh, and then it never and in my head, again. I'm like, did I just fuck myself? And yeah, never met with her uh, ever again. <laughs> but don't ever tell someone they're sick. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was so all young that's writers. One of the biggest notes <laughs> you we can't can ever see get. that they're sick. <laughs> I did fucking so Scott hasn't seen this guy. Was, <laughs> I was sick as hell. Sick this guy mind. was nobody was said a so word about it. I was like, telling you, were you, great man. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had COVID. Yeah. I was like, there was yeah. no way I was ever gonna let <laughs> no, on because like suddenly you'd back out of it. No, no, I would have backed out, and you would have been humiliated. That's good advice. Don't tell people they're sick in general. Yeah, and. Just and just get sick. Kiss them. <laughs> um, do you want to make out? <laughs> Speaking of which, I do like uh, when. So now Jordan McDear goes to sit with all the suits, and they're like, "We're in trouble. Like, are we underreacting or overreacting?" And they go, "What about the news division?" She goes, "The news division can kiss me. Can kiss me. The Ugh. lawsuit wouldn't pass the laugh test." There's yeah. a funny thing where like. They're talking about like how annoying standards and practices is to their sketch show. And yet it's but then being... <laughs> they can't even express <laughs> yeah. what would be offending standards really and practices With inside stuff that the had, body of the show. Stuff that had already been on NYPD Blue, I believe. Like, oh my god, they were showing before. butts. <laughs> They the best butts. butts on TV. I'm very confused as to why she said that. Like it did feel like 
well, it's, what, what is she? Th- maybe maybe it was a compromise to keep something else that they like. Sometimes it's a numbers game. I, rem- I remember that with Bang Bang where we could say shit five times. Yeah. But we had to bleep it any more times than that. So it we was. We got two F words on AMC. Right. One in the pilot, one in the finale. Yeah. And so we we would sit there going like, well, this one's fine if it's bleeped because yeah. it's actually maybe funnier. Funnier. Yeah. You love but this one bleep. you need to hear it because it's so strange to not hear you know it's funny when there's an argument about that too where it's like no like we need this <laughs> like right. i remember being like we're wasting it we're wasting our only fuck right <laughs> like, <laughs> i do re- yeah. remember on robbie uh that we did a bit where sashir's character is like talking about bad corporations he's like you think that corporation's bad and then she starts listing a bunch and then we bleeped all of them and mm. i thought this is a funny use of a bleep. yeah that's funny. <laughs> i was glad we did that the weirdest one for me was um uh we found out that Madison Square Garden owned AMC? Yeah, yeah. So strange. And and in our first episode, uh, Andy Daly playing Don DeMello, I think is talking about the Rockettes. Mm. And no idea, I had no idea there was any kind of connection. And after it aired, someone at the Rockettes saw it and got so mad that we had to edit it out after it Holy aired. Holy shit. James and, Dolan's fucking weighing in. Yeah. But, then the, but then the weirder <laughs> part is anytime anyone ever mentioned Madison Square Garden ever again, we would get the note, cut it. And uh, just preemptively, like someone lower on the chain was like, cut the Madison Square Garden line to the point where I think Dane Cook was on the show and he was like, one of our, one of our jokes was, um, when you did your Madison Square Garden Perform- uh, performance. <laughs> was it weird to have everyone throwing basketballs past your head? Something like that. Just totally innocuous. And and it was like, cut every Madison Square Garden thing. And um, I had to go up the chain to the like head of the network and go, to fight for this the is not game. like yeah. the other thing. <laughs> I'm not saying it's the best joke we ever wrote. <laughs> yeah, but, you can't cut it for yeah. this reason. And then it was the first time they had ever seen it. And they went, no, that's fine. You know, yeah. but it, the, there had just been way down on the chain. Yeah, where it's like, why is it ever worth a headache for me at all to get yeah. James Dolan getting a yeah. phone call down here of like, I exactly. own Madison Square Gardener. Um, Gardener. <laughs> my, I play jazz. <laughs> um, whenever I would hear like at AMC that he was really invested in something where it was like, he's got, well, he wants to do it this way. And it's like, he runs the Knicks. <laughs> He'd be like, well, maybe, that can't be good. <laughs> maybe we should not let him make that choice. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. So then the, the, smartest, the smartest person in the room, uh, Jordan McDear, then suggests that they need to go talk in her office. I do like deep Sorkin's, into the hallway. <laughs> Sorkin's like thing of making someone be smarter than everyone else and like yeah, 3D, 3d chess gaming out every situation yes like, where she's like no we're underreacting and here are all the reasons here's the reason she's, this is gonna happen this she's is thought happen. of this the thing that no one else has thought yeah. of she's like it doesn't it's matter what he said what matters is people are going to agree and she's great at her job throughout the episode it just a, it, makes her yes. really compelling it's but, a very effective character trait. but she's so smart we set up she's so smart she goes why don't we talk in our, my, my office? Which mm-hmm. is sort of weird that she's like pulling him out of the room and she takes all this focus and gets out in the hall and she goes, I don't know where my office is. <laughs> well, yeah, it's his little joke. So it's a little yeah. too cute for me. So that's the, that's the whole Sorkin thing, right? And so when I watched that recent Carrie Russell show on Netflix, I got, I really liked it and then got four episodes in was like, oh wait, this is some Sorkin bullshit, isn't it? And yeah. I looked it up and the writer is a West Wing writer. Uh, yeah. And that's what they have to do anytime there's anything dry uh, any kind of informational thing, which I, as a viewer, find very thrilling of like, oh, wow, look, she's listing out every reason and yeah. gaming it out. You have to undercut it with humor because 
otherwise the audience you'll lose the audience because yeah. people will start to zone out at information right so so there and that happens constantly in that Carrie Russell scene where they're doing the driest like blah, 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 which I find fascinating you know they're yeah. talking about it's the ambassador, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the diplomat. I, the diplomat. I, the diplomat. Yeah. I find it so fascinating, but then suddenly they're talking about the toast and who burned the toast and all that to Is prove that, they're human. Do you yes. think that's something that comes from like writing plays? Like to keep the audience, like I find that like maybe on stage watching a bunch of pipe get laid, I'm a little easier to check out. Like, I don't it's know. It's a little, it, it is a little show busy where it's like, yeah. da, 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 don't notice this. We're yeah. going to, we yeah, got to yeah, entertain yeah, yeah. you. And, and what we have what we want the show to be it's about sugar is sugar with your medicine. Yeah. yeah, it's just like this is the stuff you need to know. But here's the stuff you really want. Yeah, fucking. This it's like I'm annoyed. Know where their office is. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm annoyed by it. But like I know my mom is watching this and going like, oh, that's fun. like it's funny. I, it, it's it just charming. works. It just I yeah. am annoyed no, by the trick of it. It's a it's a bad habit I think too when you like work on this stuff to like dissect it. Where it's like I'm sure the first time I watched it I didn't think about it. Yeah, but now I'm like the smartest person doesn't know like what made yeah. the suggestion like. I just don't know how your brain ever gets to a point of let's go to my office when you've never been inside it and you get all the way out of the yeah. room and into the hallway. Well, maybe she's so used to saying it Come in, from her other job of like, well, I can't I can't lower the boom in front of everyone. Right, right, but right. But that's, I think, what they're going for. But you're right. But I also think it's a trick to humanize her and make like, oh, wow, she's the smartest person in the room, but she's still just a regular person mm -hmm. who doesn't mm -hmm. know where their office is. Yeah, there's... So coming up actually is another good example, I think, of what we're talking about, of like a serious person writing comedy. Mm -hmm. And so um, we then uh, go to Matt and Danny, who are going to save the show. Um, Which, by the way, I don't know any any real analogous situation of Matt and Danny, right? Oh, so, a writer who only works with one director and the director In was, comedy, yeah. Yeah, and like they've followed each other I was trying to figure- Maybe I, McKay and Farrell, like, and, but and, that's an actor. That's and that, at that they both worked on SNL, right? So yeah, you're yeah. right, maybe McKay, McKay and Farrell and McKay, I guess, would be like, if it, if it had been like, Farrell and McKay are gonna come back and run SNL. Uh, I was trying to think of that too. I couldn't think but of But the way they left the show is- is portrayed as very interesting. And then she he says, like, uh, the Stephen Weber character is like, well, they they left the show, like, and not under the best circumstances. She's like, I know that. People in Kansas know the circumstances they left the show Which under. And it's like, like no has one. anyone ever known about a writer firing and the circumstances? No, like, <laughs> SNL, like, like, like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, like, supposedly don't get along now. No, you we couldn't know that. And, yeah, no yeah. one fucking like, knows the... Yes, and also like in terms of people leaving, and it's like there have been very big, splashy, interesting firings. There's like that Grey's Anatomy woman who like yeah right. had like a whole false Fake like lie. Yeah. yeah was a pathological liar, and it's like nobody can no one could like maybe maybe Letter Letterman and Leno like people people know about yes, that yeah. that was news, but but like the the comings and goings of staff on SNL are not yeah. something anyone really gives a shit about. But I but I think they're trying to say that. Because Sorkin makes news with all of his arrests and yeah. all of his, yes. like, I think he thinks that he's just trying to go like, well, these guys are like me. Yeah. Right. And again, it's like, no, no they're not. People <laughs> but he doesn't SNL even staff. have a director yeah. like Tommy Schlamy, maybe. Yeah. But I started to view as the duo, the Bradley Whitford, Matthew Perry duo of like, 
oh, this is just like two sides, two sides of, of Sorkin. Absolutely. Yeah. He's just right. He's split himself into two characters. Mm-hmm. To the point where there's both the genius of, writer character of me, and then there's, and then the there's sort of more the together genius, organized adult. Yes, yeah. the genius the, other guy. Also, both of them have like drug issues. Like, it's yeah. so funny that I thought maybe one of them would have an issue with no. him. Well, well, and them being in the news, like, and also like everyone, again, worshiping, like being like Matt Albee is the only one who can save the show. Yeah. And, like his writing is so brilliant. And knowing his writing by sight like it it uh, has happened like when letterman left uh for cbs they didn't have a host and within the weekend i feel like they wrapped up lauren michaels to produce it Uh uh-huh and and it was like we need to calm everyone down and the same thing happened when pat sajak left wheel of fortune Mm -hmm. by the time you know there was like oh a day where people are like hey what if you got that job Mm -hmm. you know like my mom texting me and then by Three days later, I believe uh, Ryan Seacrest they they wrapped it up because you you cannot have a week, a month, six months go by where it's all uncertain, where there's a Jeopardy situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where the advertisers are like, maybe we pull our advertising. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. you know. So that's why they do this kind of stuff. So no, that makes sense, but it's just like the way it's talked about as like common knowledge to people, and the way mm-hmm. they treat the writer I feel like is like this is how Sorkin feels about, about himself. himself yes and it is not an experience um, that Sean have you is read accessible. Matthew Perry's book I have okay I, I'm in the middle of it right now mm-hmm. and he's mentioned this show a little bit so I'm wondering does he go into more Studio 60 talk at all or like it's it goes like I'm in the friend section right now yeah. so he's mentioned it like this happens later in Studio 60 but there's not like a whole section it is the last about. thing he did of kind yeah. of import right yeah i mean i just think it's interesting because of the timing of it all like the first lines in this of him are talking about how he's skimmed over a little bit like um Mm. where it's like sorkin's a genius and of course i did see he had done this thing on the west wing and it kind of gets into him like getting and taking the job and like deciding to do the show it doesn't in my memory go too far into the reception of the show or what like filming it was I'm more interested honestly in that like he's playing a character who the first lines he's He's like saying so many things in the first lines. That are like, in his own This life. is him yeah. in the book. Like he's in so much pain. He's his back. Yeah, his back drugs, surgery, his back and surgery. he's addicted to painkillers. Off of, or he got addicted to painkillers. It, it in is. Real life. Kind, yeah. I think he'd been on The West Wing as a guest star at this. He point. was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he is. He, it, 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 you know, you you wonder why Sarkin works with specific actors. He's all well the time. suited to this. He dialogue. is well suited to this yeah. kind of stuff. Like he he does it a little bit differently than most people, but and it feels like Sorkin accommodates his yeah. uh, cave a little bit yeah. like I also think Sorkin yeah. sometimes is ripping off Matthew Perry's cadence in the West Wing a little bit you know I right. mean that yes. cadence just became the cadence of everything yeah. for a while so I see how that happened no you sure. give it up for Matthew Perry for that he talks about influencing like a whole like yeah movement of the way people spoke you think I mean he was the first person I think to be like you think yeah you know, or could friends. you be anymore Brian? yeah all like, that kind of stuff <laughs> that he does on the West Wing endlessly um yeah so yeah. we so we get through like Matt and Danny. He wins the WGA award, which is a big deal on the show. Which, having been to the WGA awards, uh, no one considers it's it a really I also big like deal. that they're having um, a full-on conversation while the award show is happening. Well, is no, having been to the WGA that awards, is what it's like. of course. Like I've been to that. That's a really <laughs> weird room. Like I've done the Golden Globes there, and I've like presented at certain places there. But mm-hmm. I've also been to certain. It's at the Beverly Hilton. I've also been to award shows where. Everyone at the top of the award show decides we're going to talk throughout this entire oh show to yeah. where if the host doesn't have a handle on it, 
Um, and the, one of the hosts I've seen did not have a handle on how to do this. <laughs> yeah, it's the roar of people talking over the entire oh, show is, party is, is crazy because it's a weird room that everyone they're all at. And it's not tables. televised. And yeah, like yeah. And some of them were televised and people yeah. just feel like they're going to talk throughout the entire thing. It's very weird. The So he wins and then we have the sort of what I felt was like a very like Sorkin joke where he goes up to give his speech and goes like, no matter what, like at all times, Danny has been there for me. Yeah. He's always yeah. got my back. He's never left me alone. Can we get a spotlight on Danny? <sighs> and he's <spot>. gone. <laughs> um, oh, they, they're always, yeah. The a lot of, by the way, a lot of like, technical jargon in this for no reason like can we get the follow spot on yeah. him like yes. a person in that situation would just say spotlight but then also uh uh hughley saying like talking about vtr and what it means i it's like, couldn't even i didn't no know one no one gives that, a shit he would you would never explain that to an audience that was crazy um uh we then we go to the cast party where they're getting the news of the um wga award being won and here our hero sarah paul said uh, gets asked if she didn't pray correctly before the show because she's so right. Christian, if that's why the show went wrong. And then our, the person we're rooting for stomps on the fucking lower cast member who's Crazy. struggling on the show. Crazy. It's Although like, the, it, it is, it's a totally strange team or uh, scene because the way he approaches it is not how a comedian would approach it. He well, it approaches doesn't it seem in, like he's a cast member. Like it seems like yeah. a like random like heckler. Like yeah, he like a, a comedian would probably be like they would go like, hey, how's it going? Great yeah. show. Yeah. Oh, what? you know, and sort of do it Toss as a it joke. Up. Yeah. This he does like a, it as an attack. You pray, right? <laughs> come here. Yeah. Come Don't here. You pray. You hey, say, get over pray, here. Right? Get over here. He guys, does it guys, like guys. a bully would. Did do you it. fuck it up? Yeah, it is. Yeah, hoping that everyone weird. would laugh, and then yeah, DL Hughley's like, "Never do that again." I'm like, <laughs> "We're the big <laughs> three. Um, Yeah, so that. Uh, but there is also she just like destroys him for being basically dead on the show for not getting anything <laughs> on, um, which is a thing that uh, I'm sure we've all seen. Would the show have been better? Leave. If would the show have been better if they cast comedians as? The main parts i don't know they would have just made them do a bunch of drama well it's like what the, i'll say yeah. is but again about like just having you know drama writing and comedy writing and needing to actually add jokes to the same kinds of stories it's true too of like there are com comedy people who i think can do really good drama mm -hmm. it's very unusual for a person whose background in is in drama to truly be funny in this yeah sell comedy in this way especially sketch um, comedy yes i think yeah. it is weird sometimes you'll see a dramatic person playing it straight in a comedy and you go god they're so committed it's so great like mm -hmm. um but, but i think to like just feel like there's like funny in their bones the way that you yeah. do with certain sketch people i also think that it's hard there you know talking to john ham about mad men yeah um he was talking about how Matthew Weiner always said, like, if there's a funny line in the script, I hate watching other hour long dramas where there's a funny line and everyone just like doesn't acknowledge it. Yeah. Because if there's a funny line in the script and your laugh. character thinks it's funny, <laughs> laugh at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so so that there's a lightness of touch to that show where people are laughing at the funny things that people say. No one laughs at anything anyone says in this. It's like people no. literally, if you watch the show, if you continue to watch the show, someone will tell a joke and people will say, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like they're like they're gaming out the entire like, 
well, that is humorous. So then when it is say, on the show, it is humorous. I will say in writer's rooms, you'll get so far in the weeds, like in your own head, that that is the way you react to things. Sure. Like people will be talking and be like, <laughs> right. that's funny. Yeah, well, I also yeah. love when Matthew Perry, like anytime he gets a script, um, like that someone else wrote, he grabs it, goes like this and goes, okay, the third line on, uh, <laughs> like he looks at it for literally, but he's supposed Speed to be so genius. <laughs> he's peripheral vision man. Yeah, he's, he's reading the guy. It. He's reading it yep. the second That's it gets it in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the line, actually, to speak, this is the one line that does get a laugh. Mm-hmm. So Ricky and Ron catch a stray because they talk about crazy Christians and whether Sarah Paulson supported the sketch. And she goes like, that was the best writing I'd seen in years. And then she's like, I didn't think Wes had it in him. And then like maybe deal. He was like, are we sure Wes wrote it? And then she says like, uh, well, Ricky and Ron didn't write it. And Nick Cordy is like, Ricky and Ron being able to write like that would be as unusual as me suddenly knowing how to play the cello. And she laughs. <laughs> she goes, well, it's a well-written oh, joke. Yeah. And it's like, is he famous for not playing the cello? Yeah. Like, that's I mean, like, I would say, like, give anyone five years, they can learn anything. Yeah. So, oh my God. Um, now Jordan McDear blackmails uh, um, Bradley Whitford with a HIPAA violation. Right. This, is, this is very noble. Um, then we have the line that I guess we're supposed to understand where she says, trust me. And he goes, I have no reason to trust you and every reason not to. And she says, why? And he says, you work in television. Yeah. God. Is this <laughs> uh okay. Is so this do what you. we're dealing with? Yeah. Um uh then Bradley Whitford confesses to Matt Albee about his physical. Matt says, I'll bond you, I'll pay your insurance for the movie, and we can shoot in Vancouver. <laughs> then there's a funny. monologue about not shooting in Vancouver. I, this actually made me laugh because I've like I don't know if I've seen this idea expressed on television before. Well, like, it gets so inside baseball. It's so inside It is baseball. something that, yeah, you talk about a lot of like- Where when it's you, like, this city's not going to look like we yeah. want, and you do like have to shoot on location for certain things. Right. Um, <laughs> the anger at which he's like, we're not shooting a thing. I'd rather fucking kill myself. But yeah. they do say, it's also because she goes like, Ricky and Ron are your co-execs. Like, deal with it. Like he's like Beavis and Hack Baby are gonna be working on the show. <laughs> like, not not okay. Why would we keep Beavis? Uh, <laughs> like, oh god. Hack Boy doesn't sound like Butthead. Mm. Um, uh. and then they get into the salaries of the co-execs and why right. they can't replace them. And I was like, who the fuck is this for? This is just an axe he has to grind. <laughs> he has to grind with, with someone these, who yeah. got paid. And undoubtedly, like. those people were given overalls. For some yes. other, sh- for to, to to develop their own show, that would happen to my friend a lot. Where yeah. he would get an overall to develop his own show, that show wouldn't go, and he'd get put on a show. Yeah, so that's happened to Sorkin a lot. I feel where someone with an NBC deal to develop their show doesn't get on the air. Well, go work on The West Wing, it and you get told you go to meet on a show. I would meet on a show, and it'd be like a showrunner was a friend of mine who wanted to hire me, and it would be like we're getting four people jammed on us who are already being paid by the network. And like that, just like it like helps our budget in a way, but also like they need to justify the cost of this person. They get get, do it half rate. So we can't hire you because you're not on an overall. They've already spent the money. Yeah. Like the half the rate gets taken from the writer's budget or whatever. Yeah. But it's just like, and it's someone they don't want to hire. Yeah. Also people on overalls. This is a little bit of an interesting tidbit. Like, there's an art to taking a meeting 
and not getting hired. Because yeah, totally. if you don't get hired, really? you keep getting paid. Yeah. Really? What is the... I've never been in that position, but I know like it was like you had to take the meeting and you had yeah. to pretend that you wanted the job. Right. But you would need to like have a misconception of what the show was <laughs> oh, interesting. or something where it was like, yeah, I love it because we're going to do this, this and this. And then you leave and they'd go like, that's not what we want to do at wow, all. We can't hire genius. them. Now, my friend that, that this would happen to just every year he would get on to some shitty show and I'd be like, why are you working on that show? He'd be like, oh, it's my overall. Uh, you know, and I'd yeah. be like, oh, okay. But yeah. he, and you know, and I, he was happy doing it, I'm sure, but- You get um, fucking yeah. paid, but yeah. Yeah, he got, he got so much money from these overalls and he was a guy who came from animation too. So yeah. he was like, just happy. He, he, he came from animation, he got one network job, happened to win the Emmy for uh, a show that he probably like co-wrote with 30 yeah. other people, but that like gave him these giant overall deals, yeah. but then none of his ideas yeah, you ever get got staffed on the right show. And it's just like, well, this show's winning awards. Yeah. And so it's like, so anybody take who a works risk there, yeah. it's just like, well, maybe they're part of why no, Seinfeld and, was like that where yeah. every single Seinfeld writer got these major, major deals. Well, and all the guest stars got their own sitcoms right. like half the right. time where right. it was just like, they were, yeah, they were getting like, huge jobs just for being associated with right. this show that worked um doesn't happen doesn't, anymore doesn't happen really no, no. no um but uh so i'll get into i guess what my kind of wish i wrote it was mm. um uh because i think we finally have this meeting at the end where it's like matt albie's going to come back to the show he's going to convince danny it's all going to be settled they're going to save the show uh and jordan mcdear is going to prove to them that she is actually a like an executive who cares about quality, yeah. which is like what they really want. And she says like, this is the crazy Christian sketch that didn't air. Mm -hmm. You want me to prove myself? Here's my first chance. We're going to open the show with it next week. And she hands it to Matt Alvey and she's like, read it. Yeah. Like, it's really good. And he goes, I don't need to read it. And she's like, read it. And he's like, I don't need to read it. And then uh, he's Whitford like, he doesn't, like, need, he to doesn't read need to read it. it. And he goes, I wrote it. And she goes, I know. I know. Mm -hmm. And that is the best Sorkin moment, I feel like, in the, <laughs> right. because yeah. it's like, and I'm ahead of it, but it's like, he's the one who wrote it. And it, everyone's been talking about how great it is. And he right. really is the savior who can make the show good again. Right. Because the whole thing, all the controversy is about is his smart, funny thing. You're also wondering, why is Amanda Peet chasing these two guys down? And why does she, she think knows, it has to be that? Like, she knows he wrote it. She yeah. knows he doesn't need to read it, but she wants him to say it. And it's just like, okay, great. Yeah. They like make all these connections and pull the rug out. It'd from be funny the if she knows they wrote it because it just says, bye, Matt Alley. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> yes. If they had zoomed in and inserted that. So funny. That would be super funny. I thought the, I thought the end of it, like the pilot itself, I'm like enjoying parts of it. I think I'm like, cringing at the, you know, the Sorkin stuff. But I think the pilot ends really strong. Like it sticks to landing. And they're walking mm -hmm. out and they are like, the whole crew is gathered. I think and it's yeah. like, these guys are going to like, they're going to try to save yeah. this thing and everyone's going to get to keep their jobs. And as the C CD playing in the background reminds me, they're under, under pressure. pressure. I, I love it when <laughs> under pressure plays because I know then that the characters are the under, under pressure. pressure. That was crucial for me understanding yeah. the story i was kind of like oh this is going to be a breeze and then and all then of a that... sudden da, 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 and i was like oh god da, 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 da. Um, i think so i think that it ends really strong there's so many little parts of it like 
the guy who was in the room, the control room, who thought he was going to get fired. Like, I love at the end Timothy where they're Busfield. like, we're going to need you. Like, and if you had done it for 54 seconds, I would have given you a promotion. Like, yeah. all these little things. I'm like, all right, I like the way this is ending. And the wish I wrote it is, I just think the last line is maybe the most true to life in sort of working on a multicam or working with a studio audience. Like, when he looks at him and he goes, well, we live here now. I thought oh, yeah. that like hit so hard for me because it was like that was my experience working on a stage like that. Right. And I thought that was like a nice little like it just ends really strong. It made me think yeah. like, was this good? And then when I think about all the other shit in it, I'm yeah. like, it was kind of stupid. I thought the one like kind of nice human moment where he undercuts his own uh temptation to be the funniest or cleverest person was the was the where he goes out to tell um Bradley Whitford, like, we're taking this job. Yeah. And Whitford's like Go go do your movie. You can get what what he exactly? Says, is, he you, says, you can get someone. You can get someone else. You can get, get someone, someone funnier. Good. You can get someone funnier. Get someone. Yeah. He says you. Good, can, I think he says right? yeah. You can get someone else. You can get or you can. You can get someone else. You can get someone good, good. to do your movie. And he, and he goes, goes, I don't, I don't want, want someone else. else. I want you. I want you. And the and Bradley Whitford says, says yeah. The this joke is, is, I don't want someone good. I, I could get you. He goes, well, no, that's, that's not what. Well, joke. Yeah, yeah, he goes, yeah, he goes. He goes I, I know, know what, what the joke. I know is. what the joke is. I'm just trying to. I'm not doing the joke. Now. Yeah, I'm. It was a nice. You. It was a nice. I moment, liked that I thought. a lot too. Yeah. Um, and I even like the moment where I feel like you miss this in a lot of stuff. And maybe as a person who had been going through his own recovery, like the moment where he's like Whitford, he's like, oh, you failed the drug test. And he goes, first of all, are you okay? Which yeah. I found like. A right. little out of this. I thought he was just going to go straight into some sort of They're dialogue. good together. I, yeah. I thought that was really well done. And, and I was really thinking about Matthew Perry as the addict the entire time watching this. Mm -hmm. And it must be just fascinating to be going through personal shit like that and then be doing something that kind of like brings those things it. up. Yeah. It just is, it's fascinating. Well, I wonder if Sorkin even knew that Matthew Perry had the these issues his, because, he because then it, you knew it on friends. Like it was, like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It came out a little bit that he had had some, he had gone to rehab for like pillage. It just is very yeah. weird that suddenly then it becomes Matthew Perry's problem in the show. Yeah. And yeah. Bradley Whitford is the one who doesn't have the drug problem. Right. Yeah. So it becomes like Matthew Perry, even though they both start with talking yeah. about how they're on drugs in, in some way. I was but. surprised. Like in my mind, Matthew Perry had a drug problem in the show, and I yeah. didn't recall that Bradley the Whitford was the one right. who like yeah. had the issue at the beginning. And I was like, "Oh, should this be flipped?" But then it's it just almost like, feels like both Sorkin anyway. Yeah. So. It, it feels like Sorkin thought Matthew Perry should have the problem, but then like didn't figure out a plot that accommodated that. Mm -hmm. Okay, he had to fail the insurance. Okay, and then yeah. he can help him. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is like they do that on yeah. West Wing too. Which where and it's like and, yeah. and Whitford, by the way, in the actual making of the show, never does anything creative of. Of import, like he, he's not a writer. He's not a writer. That's the thing. But he's not a director anymore either, because Timothy Busfeld is directing it. So right. he's there as a guy, as like a sounding board, mm -hmm. maybe producer, but producer. Yeah. But he's he never he understands Matt. He's the Matt whisperer. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there with the like EPs where you're like looking around and you're like, what exactly do you do? Right. <laughs> There's a very famous writing team uh, that. I knew some people that worked with and what they said about them was one of them is a genius <laughs> and the other is a genius at keeping that job. It's this guy's best friend. And yeah. sometimes mm -hmm. that exists. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, I think we're uh, wrapping up. We are, we're losing the studio, but thank you so much for coming on subtitles on. We won't get to watch the teaser for episode two, which we yes. talked about maybe doing, 
but it's really good. They come up with the idea to do a Gilbert and Sullivan it's parody. It's not the teaser, it's the end of episode two. It's the two, end of episode yeah. two. Right, right, right. Okay, yes, they decide to Because they do... open with Crazy Christians in the next episode, but which funny we, see, shit. we yeah. see a little bit of, I think, and it's just terrible. Funny shit, funny shit. Funny shit, you're right. Um, but then, uh, then he needs to write another episode for- How do we do another one? It's going to be the very model of a modern major TV it, show. It's really funny. It is the same scene you see in like the, the like Queen movie where it's like, did you just say under pressure? Like, yeah, yeah. it well, truly it's the, it's is the, that. It's what we were making fun of in the hundredth episode of Bang Bang. The uh, the Clint Eastwood. Uh, what's the the four four seasons Frankie Valley four seasons movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, oh, Jersey Boys. Jersey. Yeah. yeah, Jersey Boys. Where like in Jersey Boys, someone says like. Uh, suck it up sister big girls don't cry and everyone goes <gasps> that's a song <laughs> and it cuts to the studio them going big girls and so we did a sketch with Howard Kramer where essentially their talent this group's talent was hearing things on the street and then cutting to the studio and then they walk by a clan rally and go oh and then they start singing racist things but. so yeah this clip from the show I think is like I think it was the one that I'd seen like go viral. Like you can't believe yeah. how stupid the show is. And it is the, I, yeah. I thought it was later in the show. It is the second episode. Yeah. But now having watched it, the one thing I'll say is like, it's not as bad. I mean, it's terrible. I don't think it's funny, but I can see SNL doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ha- Absolutely. Having Kate McKinnon it, do the hallelujah. Thing, you know what though? It's I'm not the like, sketch that's funny. It's just everyone like going out and be like, we need the LA Phil or we need the fit. Like yeah, yeah. the the way they do it is like situation the, room. Yeah. The aha moment. The idea of the sketch existing isn't as bad as like model. <laughs> model. No, that's bad. And but... then he goes, who are the best frat comedians of all time? <laughs> And people start guessing and they're like, Groucho Marx? And it's like everyone else's, even the young people on the show's reference point are Are 80 years old. Reference points. No, the Uh, fact that he. It's really Moliere? That's really bad. (laughs) The only good thing thing I'll say about it is it's one of the only instances where this is the creative process is someone says, like, I'm having trouble breaking this idea. Mm -hmm. And then everyone goes, let's talk about it. And then they all kind of go like, well, it's got to be this. It's got to be this. And then people are like adding stuff. It's one of the only like true to life versions of what writing actually is sometimes. Yes. Yes. That is a collaboration where like. Yeah. Just talking about it with one person even can like unlock something. As I often say, I don't have the pitch. But I might have the pitch that gets you to the pitch. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard this. I've heard this. And if it, only and baseball it games were like that, where like you could pitch to a middle guy yeah. who then that guy throws yeah, it. Yeah, he throws it really in hard between first base and the pitcher. Get the assist. Kind of toss you. <laughs> the NBA is going to look right. kind of like this. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> all right, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Thanks, buddy. Uh, Enjoyed yeah. being Listen honest. to their show, uh, uh, the other movie show. Bye. 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 